Episode 150 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast. I'm Mike Slosi, and I'll be your host for today. And this is the first episode in probably a month or so where we don't have that obnoxious uh, disclaimer at the beginning asking for your emails, because now is the time to read those emails. Episode 150, as we've been advertising for a while, is going to be a listener mail episode. We put out the call and got about um, 15 or 16 emails, I think, from various listeners, so we shall read all of them and address all of their questions, and joining me in our special 150th episode spectacular is Fifth Horseman of the Apocalypse and Master Duelist Peter Treisenberg. It's time to... Hi guys, I'm Peter Treisenberg. I have theory on the boards we don't use anymore. And also, Sky Pirate Enthusiast and Ice-type Pokemon trainer, Alana Hayes. Ooh, I like the second one. I mean, I always like the first one, but... Hey everyone, uh, Diamond Falcons on Discord, and at Alana Hayes on Twitter. And thirdly, Snatcher-hunting Junker employee, and otherwise absolutely not a cop, Rob Fenner. Judgment uninfected, naked kind, feeling nifty for 150. Thank you for having me, at Misanthropob on Twitter. And fourthly... Lover of anime RPG adaptations and hater of reading books, Keegan Lee. <laughs> Both of those statements are accurate. I got a fresh cup of coffee and I'm ready to read some emails. All right. You know, we're going to have to fight. <laughs> so, as I said, we got several emails. We are going to read them one by one and address them as best we can. Um, some of them are pretty lengthy, so we're going to truncate them for content, uh, hopefully not crushing the spirit of these of the email but again like some of them were pushing a thousand words so i mean whoa nelly i was like we appreciate your passion listeners oh yes no no we, for we, sure i i was yeah. i would have been thrilled if we got more than like eight emails and we ended up basically doubling that so i'm i'm very happy with the response and i'm sure all of my uh, twitter followers and podcast uh, listeners are, are glad that we're not asking for these anymore so, uh, all right, uh, now uh, I don't want this podcast to be three and a half hours, so let's just jump in right into the first email from John. I'll start this one. I would love a heated discussion about favorite and most hated characters in some beloved RPGs. Games like Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy X, and Breath of Fire Four. Uh, he, he lists his favorites for those four as uh, Edgar, I Love Riku, and anybody but Skius, <laughs> respectively. I'm, re- I'm really offended by that comment. <laughs> Me too! <laughs> like... Really? Come on. We were had the whole podcast on Breath of Fire 4. And both of us love Skius. He's yeah. awesome. Also, I want to give a quick shout out to um, Uncho Ishizuka, his voice actor who died earlier this week. So oh, yeah. He guy. He That's right. He, he was also a voice on uh, uh, Cowboy Bebop and, um, yeah. and Pokemon and a bunch of other things. Professor Oak. He was jet- uh, yeah. Haihachi um, and Tekken. Yeah, R.I.P. Well. God, I, I gotta go, I gotta go and play Tekken for six hours in his honor that later this week. <laughs> we'll okay. see. Um, I had a bunch of people over a few weekends ago, and we played so much Tekken Seven. Um, that's so that that was that was fun to revisit. I I, I was giving him a tribute before he died without realizing it. Um, but uh, interestingly, he, um, John did pick four games that we uh, that we have covered on the podcast, so let's give our favorites for each of them. I'll go first. Um, for me, it's uh, Cayenne FF Six. Isla and Chrono Trigger, 
but I, I love the, all of the whole cast of Chrono Trigger, so that's the hardest one. Um, probably Riku and FF10, and Skius and Breath of Fire 4. Rob, go, go ahead with your four if, you, if they're near the top of your head. Okay. Uh, okay, Final Fantasy VI, I'm also partial to Edgar. Uh, Chrono Trigger, oh, that's difficult. Maybe Luca? I really dig Luca. All right. Um, Final Fantasy X is a game full of characters who I don't like very much, but um, <laughs> I Fair. think I, everybody thinks that Oron is super cool, and um, I can't uh, dispute that. And um, Breath of Fire 4, Cius is the second coolest character next to... Mm, I think I think Urshan and Ursula are tied for first place. Yes. I almost went with Urshan instead of instead of Skius because the uh, the spirit inside Urshan gimmick I think is just excellent. Mm. Um, and for characters that I hate, I hate kid characters in every JRPG, almost every. <laughs> I like um, actually I don't know if I can name any that I do like, but um, <laughs> every every kid who appears in every Triace game. Oh I, sh- I oh, share boy. I share your That's hatred her. mostly, and um, Neon Falcom's also guilty of child characters and everything oh, too. Ren. And, uh, oh, Ren! And, um, oh, and, she's and, high up on my list yeah, of hated characters. Like I, I, I kind of like Kalilica in Memories of Celseta. She's, but she's kind of a no nonsense kid character, which is about as good as you can get for those. Yeah, she's all right, I guess. But, but she's, like, uh, yeah. I, I, I but, really but, don't have patience for a lot of them. Like, uh, oh shoot, who's the, who's the my. Alana, who's my least favorite character in Tales of Vesperia? What's his name? Uh, Carol. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, screw. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> screw that kid. But um, oh. uh, Alana, your turn. Uh, quick favorites for those four games, if if you have a mind to. Uh yeah. So uh, Celeste for Final Fantasy VI. Uh, Chrono Trigger, I think Isla and Luca top. Uh, Final Fantasy X, I'm going to go with Yuna and Breath of Fire Four. I'm going to go with Folu. Oh, right. so, oh shoot! I should oh, nice. I should have I should have picked Folu. I'm, I'm changing Skius to Folu, but I'm also upset with John for hating on Skius. He's up there. Peter, hit us. All right. Well, favorite characters. Uh, Final Fantasy VI is definitely Edgar. So we see eye to eye on that one, John. Um, uh, Chrono Trigger. Uh, we talked about this recently, but uh, Shawa is actually my favorite Chrono Trigger character. Mm. Um, <laughs> you say recently, but that episode comes in two weeks. <laughs> oh, well, it's all good. Recording. So a preview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I, I think I said someone besides Isla in that episode too. So I'm, again, my my Chrono Trigger favorite changes practically hourly. I mean, that's that's a, that's fair enough. All the characters are great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Final Fantasy X. Um, I really like. I actually kind of like Jekt in terms of how he develops. So I'm going to go with Jekt. Um, I haven't played Breath of Fire four, so I can't really speak to that one. Uh, least favorite characters: the entire cast of Star Ocean four. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> Limo I was thinking of. Oh. Okay. <laughs> we should we should we should we should do some Star Ocean talk on this podcast in the future. But that that's a topic for another day. Uh Keegan, give us your favorites or and possibly dislikes from those four and then we can move on. Okay, favorites. Final Fantasy Six, uh gonna have to go with Realm. Uh Chrono Trigger, going with my boy Robo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Final yeah. Fantasy Ten, like me some Lulu. And I've yet to play Breath of Fire Four, so jury is out on that one. <laughs> um man, I really can't think of uh RPG cast that I really despise or hate. I don't know. I think you played played Star Ocean 4? Yeah, but okay, the fact (laughs) that his name is Ed Maverick really builds it up. So that's kind of of a great name. Exactly. Thank you. That is the most JRPG protagonist name that ever JRPG protagonist. Well, next to Fate Line God, anyway. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. 
Yeah, Fate Lane God and Squall Leonhart go drinking on weekends. <laughs> you know, um, one game with, that had a cast I really got annoyed with by the end was uh, Tokyo Xanadu. A game that, mm. I, oh, really? that, I, that oh. I complain about oh. often. I think every character in that game is basically a bad anime trope that can be described as one or two Persona characters. Yes. And, and, they, oh. and, they re- and they really want you to go and talk to every person at every point in the game and then, and then punish you uh, with you know, failing certain completion goals if you fail to do that, which is just obnoxious. No, I agree. That part is super annoying. But I didn't hate Xanadu. I played EX, so I might be like, may have played a little bit of the better version, but I, I definitely played it. I played the original <laughs> version, but the but the, I, the the more I played it, the more frustrated I got with it. I just I just really am going to be annoyed with that game forever because I was anticipating it quite hotly. Alas, um, but anyway, John continues in his email. He uh, suggests Breath of Fire three, Final Fantasy X two, and Super Adventure Island two for um, uh, for the podcast. Um, now, I haven't played Super Adventure Island two. Is that is that much of an RPG? I have played it. Um, it's a it's a very um, it's very much inspired by Wonder Boy, um, which sadly uh, our site doesn't seem to cover. Although I would make an argument for us doing so. Um, I guess because there's no stat progression, but um, they're kind of not quite Metroidvania esque. I'm sure most some. I'm sure some of us here on this podcast have played some Wonder Boy games. I I uh, I'm, was aware of the relatively recent Wonder Boy releases or, or remakes that were uh, mm. that were they're quite well received. I think, but um, yeah, th- the, the best one got remade last oh, year. Okay, Wizard cool. Cube. Is uh, Super Adventure Island two available on a on some modern service? I don't believe it is. It was like a 1996 Super Nintendo game. It's a game that I own and I have beaten, but I, I really dislike it. <laughs> but that's just me. Because um, I, it, I, yeah, I, 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 I like when he mentioned that. I, I, I think I was accidentally thinking of like Joe and Mac two or something from the first description. Mm. But I, I don't think I've played either of the Adventure oh. Island games. Wonder Boy and Adventure Island. I'm. That that's a whole different podcast okay. of uh, the weird relationship between those two games, but um, where they 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 both split off and did their own thing. Wonder Boy became this sort of Metroidvania esque sword and sorcery thing, and then Adventure Island continued with the tropical caveman setting, and then you know it sort of went back in this other direction to copy Wonder Boy. Um, and it's um, I remember it being a really frustrating game that felt a little floaty, but mm. um, uh, well... there's definitely something to it. It was very it was the most involved of of the 16-bit Adventure Island games. And I think it was, like, the last one as well. Okay. Well, yeah. hmm, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe watch some videos later, but I, I'm not yeah, familiar with that. And I, I, don't, I don't know if uh, we'll end up covering it or not, but it's, uh, it's on the... unique. Yeah, it's on the list for the time being, at least. Um, Keegan, how about you read the next email from Aaron? And it's a, it's a few paragraphs, so if you have to, if you have to truncate it a bit, I, I won't be offended. Of course. All right. So let me start from Aaron. Uh, greetings from a listener who's been with you from the start. I haven't downloaded every episode, which, to be honest, I personally haven't either, <laughs> but I've listened to about three-fourths of Retro. You folks have kept me company through two moves, late nights with my newborn daughter, now a toddler, road trips, and repetitive moves. <laughs> uh, that's always sweet. I love hearing from people that have been listening to the podcast longer than I've even been on the podcast, you know? <laughs> Aaron's a good guy. He follows a few of us on Twitter, and he's lovely. Yes, very sweet guy. He is, and that, um, I, I concur. <laughs> All right, so continuing on, uh, Aaron says, since four out of my five favorite RPGs have been covered or scheduled on Retro, it only makes sense for me to request the fifth, which is Lufia 2. 
Have you guys had a lot of experience with the Lufia series? Because um, that's one that I'm still a little iffy on. I, Lufia 2 is excellent. Uh, you will hear me talk about it a little bit in an upcoming episode that we've already <laughs> recorded. And uh, I think it's maybe the only good Lufia game, but it's uh, yeah. but, but but it's but it's but it, but it's kind of <laughs> awesome. Like like <laughs> that that's more a knock. That's not a knock on Lufia 2 so much as a knock on all of the other ones. But uh, I, I have it's played. Outstanding. It's absolutely outstanding. Yeah, no, but it's it's excellent. It has a lot of it's very feature rich. Has a it feels forward thinking in a lot of uh, a lot of the tricks that are in combat. The um, puzzles are brutally difficult, but sometimes pretty cool. I I definitely had to use a guide for it. It's one of the uh, shoot one of the few Super Nintendo games where I needed a guide and not and not and instead of you know hacking it at it until I was frustrated and then going to a guide. It's like no no no. It's like I but for the last couple dungeons, it's like you know what? Screw it to game facts right now. And, and I, I, I finished it in the uh, early 2000s, I think. And it had a DS remake uh, that is not well received, but I'm at least, uh, I'm at least curious, curious about it. it. Yeah, it, yeah like uh, uh, <laughs> Rob, I think during our Lufia podcast, sorry, during our Lunar podcast, we mentioned that I've almost bought Silver Star Harmony like five times. Um, <laughs> the Lufia 2 DS remake is absolutely in that tier. Like I have looked oh, same, at it, same. I have looked at it in the store and thought about buying it. Four times, probably more, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. But uh, it didn't. It didn't come out here, but it's been on my Amazon wish list for like seven years, and I've just oh, been waiting for oh it my. to go. You know, cheap enough from a seller, and the price just seems to be going up. So, but yeah. but I mean, but Lufia Two, that SNES game is excellent. It like just really really good SNES RPG that we talk about. Oh, Hundred Four Roguelike is the uh, bonus dungeon. Yeah, yeah the um, oh. the ancient the ancient oh, wow. cave. Yeah, the, the bonus du- that that bonus dungeon is one of the best bonus dungeons in the history of RPGs. And the weird yeah. thing about it is, uh, you, the best time to take it on is around the game's three quarters mark, <laughs> because oh. the, be, because the party oh. that you have at that time is slightly better for that dungeon than the final party. Um, you know what I'm talking about, Rob? Because uh, because uh, one temporary, the temporary member with uh with blue with pink hair is. That's correct. Yeah, he's he's extremely good in that dungeon, but he's not in your final party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a boss though. Yeah, oh, oh, he's great. So right, adding Lufia two to the uh, list. Um, uh, Alana, Peter, Keegan, have you played this one? Have you played Lufia two? No, uh, never t- never played the series at all. <laughs> so yeah, Lufia, and Lufia two you. takes place before one, so that, you can just play that one and then forget yeah. about it forever, which is one. <laughs> one opens. Pick- oh, sorry, <laughs> go ahead, Alana. No, I was going to say I'll just have to pick up an SNES then, or pick up the DS remake. But yeah, <laughs> uh, one opens uh, with like the final boss battle of two, and yep. like it's got the most interesting characterization in the entire game. So they're like, oh. We should actually make this entire quest into a game. So, uh, That's cool. yeah, it's really yeah. cool. I like that. But yeah, I'm in the same boat as Alana. I have not played any of the Lupia games. I'm getting back into collecting some old retro stuff, though, so I'm hoping to get to it at some point. I've heard great stuff about two, probably mostly from you, Solosi. Probably, yeah. Uh, I think most of my knowledge about this game comes directly from you. From the episode we recorded a week ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, Lufia 2 is great, uh, and it's a great suggestion for the podcast. Aaron, thank you very much. Um, hey, Peter, can you read this uh, shorty from Jonathan? Yeah, so from Jonathan, we have an email saying, It might be interesting if you did one or two episodes on Pillars of Eternity or Neverwinter Nights. Uh, both suggestions I can get behind. Um, we don't really cover 
a whole lot of Western RPGs on the show very often. Yeah, yeah. I think I think our rule is about one or two Western RPGs a year, <laughs> and that uh, <laughs> is is probably ultimately a reflection of my tastes more than anyone else since I pro- <laughs> since I schedule most of the podcasts. But but I I do like a lot of Western style RPGs. I mean, we've done three damn Diablo episodes. Yeah, and those uh, have been having, those have been having kind of a mini renaissance lately with pillars and with uh, uh Divinity. Divinity Original Sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, I don't know if uh, torments, tides of Numenera, like all that stuff. Though the use of the the old Infinity Engine games make them readily available. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so and I, never, yeah, Neverwinter Nights, I think, was one of those la- one of the last Infinity uh, Infinity Engine games. Or my yeah, that, that or, one's coming out. That one's wasn't coming it a out. new engine? It, it, or was it was it like the first? Because that was Bi- a fully 3D one. Okay, so that, that was that was a Bio- Bioware game that was after their Infinity Engine stuff. Then that's yeah. right. Okay, okay, but it, but it was still set in the. Okay, D&D. it was it was the uh, Aurora engine. Okay, mm. but um, but it was still I, set in that D and D ish universe. Yeah, that, that it was yeah. Forgotten like Realms, Baldur's, just like ba- yeah. Baldur's Gate. Is Baldur's Gate also mm. Forgotten Realms? It is. Yes, it is. Okay, yeah, Dr- I, thought, Dr- I thought so. Dr- Drizzt shows up. <laughs> right. <laughs> But uh, Neverwinter Nights came with that really robust uh, quest creator, which, like, it's just why I bought that game, and I could not get my head around it. It really expected <laughs> you to be, like, sort of a high-level DM slash, you know, minimal, <laughs> like, sort of know your way around programming and flags. Um, you know, pretty amazing that they included that. That's the whole podcast right there is attempts to translate a pen and paper gaming rule. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. But, um... Speaking of translations of uh, those old games, uh, Pillars of Eternity is basically uh, it's basically mimicking stuff from the old Infinity Engine games. It's developed by Obsidian, who uh, was mm. uh, you know had people involved in some of those, but is a but it, it, it's not like recreating the jank of that engine. It's sort of just aimed at the at fans of those games with a new engine and a and a standalone new story. And I've I only played the first couple hours of Pillars of Eternity, but I really liked it. It was um like each class had their own super unique mechanics like the the uh, the class that w- the their one of their rogue bard classes has psychic powers that allow you to to manipulate enemy uh, dialogue and um the paladin class lets you uh, choose like a a creed or a uh, an order of paladins at the beginning of the game and each order gets different bonuses from different sort of uh, responses so like by, by choosing a specific order of paladins and then role-playing to that to how that uh paladin order behaves you got more defense and elemental resist bonuses so like th- like and that those are just two of six or seven really unique classes i really liked the uh a lot of the flair in P- pillars of eternity but again i sort of fell off it because there's too many video games and i was probably mm. um be- waylaid by podcasts or japanese rpgs <laughs> as as i am as i am want to um, they're a heck of a commitment as well, aren't they? There is so much to do in them. Um, they're really daunting, uh, but they are really interesting. And this renaissance of CRPGs that we have seen recently is really cool because they have their own really interesting worlds. And I think that's what a lot of a lot of stuff now I find is lacking in. So whenever I dip into one of them, I'm always like, oh, I want to try more, but it's just such a commitment. So. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, geez, I, I'm sort of amazed at myself that I've beaten Dragon Age Origins four times. <laughs> the more, the more I, the more I, th- I think I think about that, the less possible it seems. I feel much the same as Alana. Um, the sort of classic isometric style CRPG has always been something of a blind spot for me, um, and I'm really keen to to play more of them. I really enjoyed recording um, the uh, pair of episodes on uh, Planescape Torment with Keegan earlier this year. Um, 
So um, I bought a bunch of these in the Steam sale. So um, mm-hmm. I'd really love, you know, an excuse to um, sit down and have to, you know, get over my intimidation towards them and uh, experience what they have to offer. So I'd definitely be up for us covering some more of these on, on the show. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. I love playing them too, but... Um... The problem is, as they get more advanced, my computer does not. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. playing something like Neverwinter or Baldur's Gate, like that runs perfectly fine. But unfortunately, I have yet to experience Pillars of Eternity just because I don't have an available format to play it. Really? I mean, like. PS4 now, can't you? Um, is it on PS4? Uh, play, yeah. Uh, yeah, Definitive Edition. It's really cheap, it's too. Called, or Enhanced Edition or something, but it's got its own port. And Pillars 2 is getting a port at the end of the year as well. Yeah, so. And I think I think Pillars 2 is getting an, an expansion soon. If it, it might already be out, in fact. It's, already, it's already out. out. Oh, already oh, all right. So they're both coming to PS4 or already on it? Uh, uh, they're not yet. It will be. It's coming to Switch as well, uh, ooh. Pillars 2. Ooh. That one's a big one, too. That's perfect. I, <laughs> I've been having such a dilemma now between going for PS4 or Switch with a lot of games. <laughs> it's right. really driving me nuts at this point. Yeah, I think I think I changed my uh, backer rate, my backer uh, reward from PS4 to Switch for Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, maybe uh, five times over the summer before <laughs> before the closing date. I remember, maybe maybe the closing date was in May, but like whenever that was, I was like, I I really waffled between them before settling on Switch. But uh, yeah, they, we're, we live in a in an era with a, with a lot of good vehicles to play games on. Uh, a lot of these developers of Western RPGs are finding an audience and uh, an enthusiastic audience for these older style of games, which is how we're getting things like Tides of Numenera and Pillars of Eternity, and it's and it's encouraging for fans of the genre, like absolutely. But uh, okay, I think that's enough talking about those Western games. Uh, Alana, how about you read this email from Raúl? <laughs> sure. Um... So, dear fellow retro RPG enthusiasts, a discussion topic for the mailbag episode. What are some of the more interesting battle systems and RPGs you've encountered throughout the years? Uh, some examples which come to Raoul's mind are the rhythm-based attacks in Mother 3, the stride-cross battle system from The World Ends With You, and the complex but also stylish mixture of real-time and turn-based combat in Resonance of Fate. Okay, and Alana, bonus, uh, read the following email from Nick. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Hi, um, hey Retro Encounter, long time fan, first time caller. I've been playing a lot of Octopath, which many of us have been as well, and I'm really digging the combat. So I'm curious to know what RPG has your favorite battle system. And this is from Nick Ransbottom, who used to write for us. And we miss you, Nick. And you've been on a few of our episodes, and we love you. Um, and he also signs off with PS hashtag make Solosi play Kingdom Hearts 2K18. So. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, two emails um, asking about. Uh, uh, basically battle system questions, and we will address those. But I also should mention that um, before we got either of these emails, we did begin planning a uh, favorite battle system episode. So that probably is coming automatically. I don't know. Probably probably in October or November. I don't know exactly sure yet. But but we've been... uh, It is in the early planning stages in some Google Doc or Trello card somewhere. So that will happen. But let's, uh, let's address their questions, which is you know, close enough to being the same that I think we can combine them. Um, uh, favorite battle system for each of us. I'll go first to give you guys some time to think. It, uh, I, uh, I think Grandia 3 does a yeah. really good job with that, um, that shared sort of action meter system where uh, you know uh, both characters and enemies are sort of moving along this grid at varying speeds depending on their charge times and speed stats. And you can, uh, by manipulating positions on the grid, you can interrupt uh, enemy moves as they're charging spells and, uh, and plan you know, combos to happen in certain orders. It's, 
it, it, it's good in Grandia 1 and then got better with each game through Grandia 3. And then a lot of games uh, uh, adapted from it in interesting ways like uh, Child of Light and a couple of the Z-Boyd games like Cosmic Star Heroine use variations of that shared meter in the Grandia system. And uh, I think it's awesome. Every time it's executed well, which is most of the time, I enjoy uh, playing with it. But Grandia 3 is my favorite version of that style. Uh, uh, Peter, let's hear it from you. What's your favorite battle system or a really good one that comes to mind? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a shout-out to Raul for bringing up Resonance of Fate. Because uh, that game, I never finished it, but I really enjoyed what I did, what is, what I did play of it. And mainly because I thought the combat was really interesting. Um, and it is very complicated. It takes a lot of getting used to, and the game doesn't really do a great job of explaining it to you. But once you kind of come to grips with the fact that you're kind of juggling two different kinds of damage, uh, basically how it works is that you build up one type of temporary scratch damage that have higher numbers, but the enemy will recover from them over time. And then you can land a direct hit with another type of damage that takes all of the accumulated damage and inflicts it. That, that so, reminds me kind of of Brave Points in in the first Dissidia. It's a little yeah. like that, yeah, mm-hmm. actually. Um, where, yeah, basically you you set a path for your character to run, and they will do this, they're like crazy gung-fu, like weird anime matrix martial arts stuff that's really fun to watch. <laughs> and then you kind of have to pick what kind of weapons they're using to inflict the most damage and hit enemy weak points and positioning becomes really important. And it's just really a really engaging combat system that takes a lot of strategy, but also kind of minute to minute, like awareness, like, you know, how to be really, you got to be like really specific on where you're going and what you're doing. And I really enjoyed that. Um, That's a game that I'd like to see revisited in some capacity. Hmm. So, it's possibly a potential uh, future episode, you think? Or it could oh, very well be. Yeah. I, I don't have a PS3 anymore. Would be the, is the difficulty on that front? So I want to <laughs> observe from the shadows. But um, I would, yeah, I would love to see an episode of it because it's something I've tried mm. to get into so many times, and I've just hit a wall every single time. So please, someone push me into it. <laughs> I'll add yeah, it to that. My 360 copy. Here. I'm a big fan. Um, I I've recently set up my PS3 again. I'm the opposite of Peter. Uh, me too. <laughs> but that's because that's because I, I recently got a, a second television for a new room, uh, and I and my PS4 was elsewhere. So like, oh, I guess I guess I can bust out the PS3 again. Sure. Um, Rob, do you have a favorite battle system or an excellent one you'd like to talk about? Um, <laughs> Raul named my three favorites, uh, but um, <laughs> I will um, uh, I'll second you, Solosi. Um, I like how Grandia and both like the wider Trails series are based around manipulating turns oh, yeah. and delaying enemy attacks. Right, right. The 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 Trails games from uh, basically Trails in the Sky onward. All of them. Yeah, yeah. Use, use a a version of that. Right. I forgot. Yeah. Um. I'd also I'd be remiss not to mention um Legend of Lagaya and Xenogears, which both have these kind of cool, almost yeah. kind of like fighting game esque context specific uh, combos that you use to, you know, pull off special moves. Um. But because I'm um pretentious and always have to come up with something obscure. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to D2, um, the uh, Kenji Eno game, the the sequel to the infamous D. Uh, was that was for... that a, was that a Dreamcast game? 
It was a Dreamcast I think exclusive. We, yeah, I think we talked about, about it. it. That's where I remember it. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit on the Dreamcast Encounter episode. <sighs> yeah, that was, we did. That was almost two years ago. Probably exactly two years ago. I think it was August. Um, mm-hmm. So that game has random encounters, but when you get into an encounter, it's like a third... No, not a third-person shooter. It's like a it's like a light gun game almost. Like these, you know, aliens pop out of the snow, and you have to, um, you know, move the move the reticle and shoot them down. And um, I remember I probably has not aged well at all, but I remember it feeling super fresh and super exciting in like 2002. So um, it's a shame that we haven't seen uh, anything that really melds melds the genres like that. Cool, uh, Keegan, hit us with a cool battle system worth discussing. Okay, so I'm probably being influenced because I just hit the 50-hour mark in it, but Xenoblade Chronicles, specifically 2, I've been obsessed with, and just the amount of minuscule details that can really affect the flow of a battle, it's gotten me hooked. Like, finding the right combination of elements, trying to get the right weapons to form the perfect class, making sure your affinity charts are filled out so you're hitting the max output, making sure your positioning is correct. There's just so much go into it that i actually had to contact uh some of my friends just to figure out how the heck are you supposed to play this game yeah it's the same or i dropped you a couple like articles <laughs> he like, sent me legit links to help figure out but once i got it oh it 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 flew like bl- uh, butter are you saying that butterflies <laughs> i meant to say like it flows but i have a hard time talking <laughs> uh but yeah i, I have heard um both about a little bit about the highs and lows of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I've only played like the first hour or two hours of the game before getting, you know, distracted by other things. Yeah, like all the Xenoblade games have great combat and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 might have, you know, the most technical content of any Xeno game in terms of its combat. That's mm-hmm. uh it, it's it's frankly a little daunting. Um but um Alana, okay. you you, uh, you played a lot of XC2, didn't you? Yeah, I finished it. Uh yeah, I would say it's daunting. Um you probably don't learn everything until you get to the end of the last Titan, I will say. So um, by the end of the game, I found it quite, I don't want to bring a downer to it. I found it very repetitive because I found I got into a rhythm and found the easiest way to inflict like three to four million damage in a combo. But it is extremely satisfying to pull off those three to four million damage combos, I will say. So yeah, I, I'm a bigger fan of the first game's combat for sure. But yeah, it's a good pick. So, uh, Alana, continuing with uh, yeah, with you um, informing us with your wealth of knowledge, what's a uh, fighting? Excuse me, a, an RPG combat system that you enjoy very much? Ooh, I'm gonna go one obvious, one less obvious. So obvious is Tales of Graces F. I think that it is really um, kind of Heck the pinnacle yeah. of the sister. There, the pinnacle of the series. It's probably my least favorite game in the series, as I've mentioned. But the combat is perfect. It is the oh, good perfect execution of the non-tp system dodging is so smooth it just flows really well and every single mage character can run in battle and run out of battle and not be like under threat or anything so like nobody's like a glass cannon essentially and you can just run around do whatever you want and mages can be used however you wish and it's great like everyone's playable in most tales games but graces kind of lets you do your thing really smoothly and it doesn't limit you by tp um tp yeah uh, i I, I think that's the key element um the 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 tales games with tp it's so frustrating to run out of tp and and it builds back so slowly that uh, it basically it discourages from using your coolest combos and you spend Mm. tp too quickly but the games that don't use tp again uh, i've only played the first couple hours of tales of graces f i didn't like the children segment but the the combats (laughs) flowed so well in it because it gave you 
freedom or at least some room to you know to execute those combos and you weren't limited by this rapidly depleting resource I, it's i i want every tales game going forward to not have tp anymore yeah you can build your own combos in them which is really great um and, so, and, yeah and, and berseria doesn't use tp in the traditional yeah, sense berseria right? uses like a different version of that same like oh. a, a more advanced version of that engine yeah cool. the stereo okay. berseria use the same system gotcha. um but uh, my interesting, forte. yeah. <laughs> uh, my more interesting pick because I'm dipping in and out of this series is uh, Baton Kaitos and their card-based system. Oh so yeah, I love both of them. So they're slightly different. So Eternal Wings uses a slower turn-based style. So each character has a separate deck, and they pick their own attack um, and special attack cards, and they have their own defense cards. Uh, Origins is much quicker in that they all share a larger deck where all of their special attacks are mixed in with basic attack cards and then their own weapons as well, which you can pick between. But you can swap characters mid-combo as well and start off someone else's combo at the same time while the other person's finishing theirs off rather than waiting for a timer to turn up. So they're really good games if you can get them for cheap, which is quite difficult. Um, But I would recommend that as a really interesting turn-based game. And there's a wealth of good card-based RPGs on the GameCube, which is strange but yeah no those are my picks it's a surprising coincidence for for them to be on the gamecube but uh excellent picks I, everyone thank you so much for talking about battle systems uh briefly we are going to have a d- discussion maybe similar to that one we just had in a future episode that is in the planning stages but i don't know exactly when it'll happen so it was a weird coincidence getting two questions about battle systems when maybe days earlier i had uh, started talking with some rpg fan staff that are not here on the podcast uh about battle system episodes that is upcoming um rob how about you read andre's email and christopher's email okay um let's let's start with andre first with the acclaimed popularity of such games as bloodborne and dark souls versus past games of similar or harder difficulty how popular do you think a compilation of the hardest games ever made would be by compilation i'm talking something similar in nature to how the snes and nes classic systems were released um so so either hmm. a uh like a compilation disc or even a compilation device that just has a bunch of very challenging games on it. Like a, I don't the know. Collection. <laughs> like, like, like super hard games, all-stars, 20XX. Just a ROM of Takeshi's challenge. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's what we need. I mean, hard, hard is so subjective and relative, and it means something different to, to every single person. Um, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of Bloodborne and Dark Souls, um, and I'm not going to be one of those people who says that they're easy because they're definitely not. Um, but their systems and the tells that they like the monster tells, um, when they're, you know, winding up for attacks, um, they do so much to teach you in a way that a lot of other games don't. Um, and I actually found this sort of like the trading on the difficulty, especially with Bandai Namco sort of prepare to die and like take the hot wings challenge. Um, I found it to be a little, um, like tasteless and very, um, reductive. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's not the thesis statement of what those games are. Um, but I think it's like, there's a fine line between like fair hard and like Kusoge hard when it comes to difficulty. So like... (laughs) I don't even know how you would begin to be, begin to define this because like some people find reflex based combat hard or proper party balancing or getting lost in dungeons or resource management. <laughs> I don't really have an answer here. How about you guys? Um I think a prepare to die collection of maybe the Ninja Gaiden games could be cool. Like <laughs> if if it was like Ninja Gaiden 1 and 2 for the NES and then Ninja Gaiden Black for the original Xbox. 
I, I, I think that would be uh, that would be a cool collection that I would be interested in, interested in buying for any system. Uh, hashtag put it on the Switch. But uh, but and and also that's one series that I associate with high difficulty. But also mm. but also appreciate for how mostly good they are. Like like I think that mm. the um, Ninja Gaiden one and two are very good NES games. Even though I even though just looking at one of those eagle sprites that can knock you out of the air in Ninja Gaiden one just makes me involuntarily twitch. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that little jingle I hear it in my yeah. head now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about how hard like a wizardry collection would be. That's... Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, or like they put like Al Calabeth on there or something, like the Ultima Zero. Oh right, yeah. Or like a let's say Seventh Saga and Arcana for the SNES on some unholy collection of uh, games that you know are super difficult with a mandatory grind. Mm, I like Arcana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Seven Saga a lot, but I, I've talked about that on like eight podcasts somehow. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how. I, what, please make me stop talking about the Seven Saga. I don't know what's wrong with me. That's one of those things where I'm with, I'm with uh, Fenner on this one, though, where it's like, I don't know how you quantify difficulty, and I would argue that the popularity of Bloodborne and Dark Souls has less to do with them being these super challenging games and more to do with them being having very interesting lore and deep combat and a whole lot of like stuff to find and do and explore and more so than this game is going to kick your ass six ways to Sunday. Um, Whereas old Nintendo hard games like, or like old arcade games, especially were designed like with like quarter munching in mind. That's a complete nature, you know? So it's gravity. Well, it's one of those things where like, again, like you can, and I don't know how you market something like that too. Like, you do like a, like, oh yeah, th- here's this compilation of video games that, like, this game smells, you know, <laughs> found ads. <laughs> like, how, yeah, I, I don't see that going well. But uh, that's just me. It's it's a neat idea. Maybe maybe SNK's uh, holder makes a, a fighting game that's only the boss fights from every King of Fighters game. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> the only port, the only port of Metal Slug Two included is the version that slows down with every frame of animation. Oh no! <laughs> You're a terrible person. Yeah, I know I am. I mean, people think that Dark Souls is hard, but they—I mean, those aren't. That isn't NES hard or SNK hard. I still have no, like, really I, so fair compared to any of those. Yeah, God. Yeah. I mean, uh, the Gurnets boss fight in uh, King of Fighters—I think that one was '96. Oh, I know yeah. what you mean. That, that, that's oh. that one is just the worst. I, one of my friends growing up had a uh, had a Neo Geo and with a couple fighting games on it, and we took turns trying to kill Gurnets for multiple hours one afternoon. It was the first time I remember my hands hurting from playing video games. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a fine line between I'm losing, but I feel like I'm learning with each loss, and I'm about to throw my controller through a window because this is unfair. And I feel like King of Fighters is. On the unfair side, a little bit. Recent ones have been have been better, but the uh, the '90s and early 2000s bosses in King in uh, SNK fighters were too brutal, and uh, that's the one that's the most. Gurnitz is the one that's the most memorable to me, though. Um, you can set those dip switches to make it at the early, at the easiest difficulty, and still, I have not been able to beat an SNK <sighs> final boss. No, I've no. I've done I've done a couple of them, but it's uh, they they were many years later on emulation on emulated yeah. collections, and I might have even, I might have even tweaked the emulator to make it better for me. But I I, yeah. uh, I again I have nightmares with, uh, about old Gurnitz. Anyway, um, uh, Rob, how about you read the second one from Christopher? 
Okay, this is a short and sweet one. You guys should do Lufia too. Yes, we know. We've discussed that. <laughs> uh, Riviera, the Promised Land, uh, Yggdra Union, and Shining Wisdom. Now, uh, I am for this. I like all of these games. I um, think Shining Wisdom will be the tough one um, because it's a Saturn exclusive. Um, I do have a copy. It's a very charming little like Link to the Past clone set in the Shining Force world. Um, we will talk the, about uh, Shining a little bit later, but uh, yeah, the American version has a very horny um, working designs translation, <laughs> and the uh, <laughs> European version has a um, very bad English translation. So um, take your pick. <laughs> now, um, Riviera and Yggdra Union are those are both Sting games, right? That's right. They're part of Department Heaven, um, which is. Um, uh, another series that we're going to talk about later in this podcast. Oh, but um, Yggdra Union, those were both Game Boy Advance games that both got um, PSP ports, and they were both on the Vita Marketplace. Right, I, um, uh, I, I have beaten Riviera, but I, I think I own a, a PSP copy of Yggdra Union, but have not played it. It's very cool. It's like, um, I guess like the closest thing I could compare it to would be something like um, Langrisser or, um, it's, it's actually, it's very Advance Wars-y. It's like Advance Wars with huh. a lot of plot. Okay. And it's it's beautiful and very very addictive. That's interesting. Maybe I, I mean I my my DS and PSP collections are pretty vast and and uh, and lo- and there are sp- spots of that I haven't even touched because I mean for a while they were so uh, you could get PSP games so cheap when they were sort of on the outs that I yeah, I, know. I, I, I I bought them sort of even sight unseen if it, if it was you know oh this is an anime fighting game or RPG or <laughs> or platformer like sure maybe why not. So I, I have a bunch of rando PSP games. Riviera is a game that I, I like quite a bit. It was a, a little bit gross so at cool. times, but um, oh yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a little bit uh, again, it's more than slightly horny. But the uh, but it, it sort of balances like visual novel interaction with uh, dungeon exploration and uh, and and competent combat. Yeah, speaking uh, of cool battle systems. Yeah, that's I, a good one. Yeah, um, I remember um, going through dungeons, you had some kind of stamina point or time point that would deplete whenever you took an action. I almost stopped quit playing the game because of a, uh, because I had a, I had a bad save situation and it, and it ended up not getting the best ending because I wasn't able to complete a dungeon satisfactorily. But mm. I really, really liked Riviera for most of the time I played it, but it's also, it also has, you know, <laughs> there's like a lot of ba- bathing scenes in it to give you an idea of what kind of oh, RPG boy. it is. It's kind of like a Moe harem game, isn't it? It's just yeah. like the main character loses his memory and a bunch of plucky girls are all around him. Um, Four plucky girls, each with a different hair color and personality. Yeah, <laughs> I don't love that, but I that combat system was so cool. Um, scythe, I, the, the scythe, I remember the scythe. I, talk. I remember the. I don't remember anyone's name in that game, but I remember. I thought that the scythe girl was cool. Scythe girls are cool. Yeah, because <laughs> there, there was sword girl. Bow Girl, Scythe Girl, and Witch Girl. That's about right. Yeah, I, I do not remember anyone's name in that game though. It was, but I do remember enjoying. I remember it. Hector. Hector. Uh, was he like a recurring uh, enemy? Hector. Hector is the. Um, he's like your you handler at the beginning of the Ruminating Angels. He's right. Got the hood. Oh, right. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, the, the, yeah. The, there's there's several angels at the beginning, and, and yeah. you're like a, a trainee or something, and you lose your memory. From what I understand, he's supposed to be like the big bad across the entire Department Heaven series. Oh wow, huh? But um, he's yeah. he's adorable. I like him. <laughs> cool. So, do we have any other Riviera or Idra Union players here besides Rob and I? I haven't hit on a uh, Idra Union, but I did play a lot of a uh, Riviera back in the day on the GBA, which I loved it. But I had so much stress about 
which weapons to use at which time. Mm. I didn't want to, you know, just waste a good weapon in a random, you know, random encounter and then come to a boss and end up screwed. It was stressful. Yeah. And but uh, I... weapons had limited uses in that game, too. And you leveled up skills by using weapons more. So they encouraged you to use weapons and spend them, but also it gave you the stress of wasting weapons away, like like getting legendary weapons in a Fire Emblem game or something, which yeah. which can be frustrating and stressful. But it did give you that practice mode. Yeah, right. okay, the Game Boy right. Advance version had that as well, and that allowed yeah. you to build up your, your skills. Right, yeah, yeah I, I, remember, you... I remember using that every time I got a new item. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, I'm kind of excited to try Yggdra Union. I didn't even know that it was an entire series. I just thought Riviera was a standalone game. So, seeing that there's like more to the world, I'm really interested and there's there's gugner as well for psp which i right i think that is I another played. yeah i think it's another unplayed psp game in in my collection <laughs> oh yeah mm-hmm. i think i saw them in yeah. the beta market but yeah it's probably. there as well cool. huh. all right it looks so cool i've been meaning to pick it up that's very cool thank you for the suggestions christopher um peter how about you read this uh email from krisna all right so from krisna we have hello everyone i'm krisna from jakarta indonesia nice I've been listening yeah. to your podcast at RPGFan.com since sometime three years ago, and I've never thought listening to podcasts can be this fun. Well, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that, sir. Um, so I want to ask your opinion about the comparisons of strengths and weaknesses of the first Dragon Quest, the first Final Fantasy, and the mm. first Fantasy Star. Thank you for your attention. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I, okay, I'll pop off briefly about Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy, because those are... Again, two of my all-time favorite series. I've not played any Fantasy Star anything, so maybe that can be something we address in the podcast later. But uh, maybe with these series in general and uh, these first games in, the, in this specific example, I think the strength of the first Dragon Quest is uh, is a feeling of sort of completion and the plot coming full circle because you have to explore every inch of the world, find the sacred relics, rescue the princess, even though I think rescuing the princess is optional, and by these sort of end game, everything that you find comes together into a culminating bo- boss battle in a way that's satisfying. Like you see, like when you play a Dragon Quest game through to the end, and sometimes into a post game, you see the plot threads tie themselves together, and the the whole of the story is greater than the sum of its parts in a very satisfying way for most of the Dragon Quest games. But for Final Fantasy. Um, they're, they're they're much more character driven than Dragon Quest. The, the I think that uh, uh, going era to era, with a few exceptions, like Final Fantasy characters are more memorable than Dragon Quest characters for the most part. Although that's a, a, a I, I'm, sure, I'm sure Dragon Quest fans will take umbrage to that. But the, but Final Fantasy has more iconic and more uh, memorable character designs. And I think in Dragon Quest One, like I I, I struggle to identify any character anyone with characterization in that game other than Dragon Lord, maybe. But and also Final Fantasy have much more wild sci-fi influenced plots than Dragon Quest. Hence this uh, the time travel thing stuff in Final Fantasy One that I totally don't 100 percent understand. <laughs> which uh, I think Rob, you and I talked about in an episode last year. Yeah, check out that episode on Final Fantasy One that we did together during the the 30 year anniversary. It's um it's a good one. And, but also, maybe my favorite part of Final Fantasy One is the uh, the feeling of transforming that you get when you uh, when you class change around the game's midpoint. That's really satisfying, and, and building your team from those classes at the beginning and seeing them transform when you meet Bahamut is awesome, and is you know the first moment of a real satisfying Final Fantasy class system, of which there have been several over the years. 
So, uh, oh boy, um, who has thoughts about comparing these three games? As far as Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy are concerned, I think the first Dragon Quest is interesting because it's like the ur text of the JRPG. Like, it kind of... It's, mm-hmm. it's those trends going forward. And then Final Fantasy kind of iterates on it in a really interesting way. And then they both kind of launch their own franchise down some very specifically different paths, uh, as you said. I think I don't think the first Dragon Quest has aged all that well. Dragon Quest um, 1 and 2 have not. I'm, I'm, uh, and, and, and some of my comments on Dragon Quest 1's story was, was more applicable to the series in general than the first game, even, even though I, I think it's, it's, the arc of Dragon Quest 1 is, you know, is playable and nice, but it's, it doesn't really hold up to modern standards of JRPGs. Right. Right, and Final Fantasy 1 has been re-released often enough. There's enough versions of that where it's readily accessible. I think that game has a lot to offer, even for modern Final Fantasy fans, if you want to see the roots of the series and kind of experience it with a fresh coat of paint. Uh, Final Fantasy 1 kind of has a unique going-on-an-adventure style to it and tone that the rest of the series, I think, has not quite captured since. Um, it's also very confusing at points, and if you're playing the NES original, uh, that the combat system is kind of woof. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Remember to hold reset when you power off, so you retain your save. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that that's really the long and short of it. That's uh, I think Final Fantasy One is a much more interesting game nowadays, but Dragon Quest is essential. It is an important part of the the text. All right. Um, anyone else want to compare those three games, especially if someone has Fantasy Star commentary? Because I do not. <laughs> The, uh, no. <laughs> the the fantasy star lover has logged on. Oh, I want to be a fantasy star lover too. I'll get there. Okay. I, right. I, I've I've been tempted by Fantasy Star four many times, and I, I think I own that game multiple ways as well. So it's a, it's it's on me that I've missed out on Fantasy Star. I'm afraid. Yeah, me too. So I have played all of these. Um, I played Dragon Quest one and Final Fantasy one quite a bit later because I didn't have an NES until I was maybe ten or eleven. But um, Fantasy Star was the first JRPG I ever played. Um, and, you know, whereas Peter said that, like, Dragon Quest is the sort of no-nonsense, like, Ultima, but cute with its own identity, thanks to Akira Toriyama's lovely monsters. Um, and Final Fantasy One's big strength is that it allow out of all of these games, it allow out of all these three games, it allows for the most experimentation and replay value. Because, you know, you can't play every single class in a single run. Um, so, um, it encourages you to like go back with a different, a different party and see, um, a different way of approaching it. But, um, fantasy star had the most unique world and well-realized characters. I mean, they really like Alice, Odin, Meow and, and Lutz are all super basic by today's standards. Cause they're just, you know, they don't receive that much characterization, but they each have, um, a unique silhouette, um, wants and, and needs to get out of their quest. And, um, I remember feeling like feeling super attached to them just from, you know, how, you know, how unique they were to each other. And it was the first real story-based game that I played. Um, so like, you know, along with that, there's this whole sci-fi setting with multiple planets and, you know, you're jetting back and forth, um, from uh different space stations and it, it felt incredibly fresh in 1987 and like i'd argue it still feels a little bit more unique than something like star ocean where you're always like crash landing on a medieval planet and it also had those 
awesome first person dungeons that ran really, really smoothly. Um, and um, a few other, I mean, there were some first person dungeon crawls on uh, NES, but they felt a lot choppier than this um, very, very um, smooth animation of uh, going down these claustrophobic halls. So that's a, that's a pretty special game for me. Awesome. Do we have anyone that uh, feels like comparing these, th- uh, these three series or three games? Because th- th- that's something that we could do, is it? Because we've done individual episodes on Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, but none, but none on Fantasy Star, so that's something we can consider in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and nothing that's a real series overview on Dragon Quest or Fantasy Star. We did do a lengthy Final Fantasy series overview episode that we had to split in half. I'd be up for doing Dragon Quest and Fantasy Star. I'd love to do an overview of yeah, uh, I would not how mind those re- series evolved. I would not mind revisiting Dragon Quest at all. It was a lot of fun recording a Dragon Quest V episode uh, over a year ago with um, Rob Steinman and with you, Keegan. Yep. Oh, man. I'm trying to think. My problem is just uh, differentiating the first of these games from the rest of the series, because after a while it's kind of blended for me, you know? But I think if there's one thing that sticks out to me, I'd have to say I feel Final Fantasy has the better music out of these three series. I can't speak much for Fantasy Star because I've never personally played it, but I can't remember any jingles from Dragon Quest, like, minus the battle theme. But... Um, well, I, I can't keep the battle... I, I, I can't keep... I can't keep yeah, the... Exactly. I cannot keep the battle themes together uh, straight, ex- except for... My, like, I, I know the opening violin to the Dragon Quest V one because it's my favorite, and I know the Dragon Quest main theme quite well, but it, it, it's hard keeping the um, the music but straight between different Dragon Quest games, while Final Fantasy, you know, those Uematsu melodies that he rides hard on are very, very memorable. There's a lot of mm-hmm. great Final Fantasy music and much less good f- Dragon Quest music. Although I do think the main theme of Dragon Quest is timeless. Yeah, that's I, I, I Let's just say that I would not mind and actually be quite excited if Koichi Sugiyama were to announce his retirement. <laughs> <laughs> mm. yeah. It's time. Yeah. Um, I think the world map theme of Dragon Quest One is pretty iconic, um, and that that gets revisited quite a bit. That was the first map theme in in Dragon Quest Builders as well. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that. Mm. Yeah, Dragon Quest Builders One uh, has is a lot of subversion of Dragon Quest One, and Builders Two is a big subversion of Dragon Quest Two. There's even like mm. I, I think. Uh, Oh shoot! Either Malroth or Hargon or both are actual characters in Builders Two before, in, and not just introduced at the very end game. Yeah, I think one of them is like a. It may or may not be him. We can't really know yet, but I think Malroth is like okay. a villager in the first town. Okay, that's interesting because in Dragon Quest Two, he's a demon summoned at the very end of the game. Yeah, he's all. a human with. Hor- specifically horn-like hair, so okay, I'm so, holding... Yeah, so, so maybe maybe <laughs> Malroth is, is sealed in a human this time, and they have to deal with him later. That, that, there's a lot of interesting ways they can go with that, because Dragon yeah. Quest Two is... Oh boy, it's a mess. It's, it's probably my least favorite of the nine main series games. Okay, are, are we about done talking about Dragon Quest or Final Fantasy and or and Fantasy Star together? Or Alana, do you, have, do you have something to chime in? I don't. I've only played Final Fantasy One, so I can't compare any of them, unfortunately. Um, so nothing... Uh, all, all good. I mean, again, Dragon Quest One. Maybe watch a playthrough, unless you really, really want to check it off your list. I, I didn't. I never beat it. It's NES version, but I beat it on the Game Boy Color many years later. Uh, mm. It would have been in the probably the mid two thousands, I think. I think there's a mobile port now, unless I'm mistaken. There's a, there's a mobile port. Oh, of, really? I think one but... through. I think you can get all all the all of the first six on mobile now. Yeah, and it's you can get eight, eight too, can't you? 
Oh, and 8 also? Well, great. Well, yeah. And also, I think the mobile ports of 1 through 3 are based on the um, Super Famicom versions that never came out in the United States. So that's uh, Which are very good. Yes. It's the best way to play Dragon Quest 3, for sure. Hmm. Oh, my. But anyway, um, thank you so much, Krishna, for our fan in Indonesia, which was not a, a region I was expecting to get some shine from. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I'll read this next one from Dallas. Uh, and the, the person's name is Dallas. He, I, don't, I do not know if he is emailing from Dallas, Texas or not. Uh, hey, Mike, I love that you guys are doing a mailbag episode. So when I was working in a restaurant, there was a guy who was an awesome person but wasn't great in social situations. So I was asking, uh, so I was always ask him, what's the game? And we, have a, have a, we would have a conversation about the games we were playing that week. One of the best things about Retro Encounter is having those kind of play, cafeteria playground chats with friends. So please keep up the great work. Thank you, Dallas. Now, uh, Dallas goes into some detail, and his recommendations for games to, for us to play are Xenosaga 1, which he uh, uh, thinks that is, you know, has great character development and story, and he thinks that a lot of us would like it, even though it has a reputation for long cutscenes. And also, one of the Suikoden games, which uh, I should mention, we're, we're playing Suikoden 2 next month, so, that, so I guess wish granted, Dallas. And also he <laughs> suggests a, uh, a game in the Wild Arms series, which he believes is based mm-hmm. off the Trigun anime, but I, I don't think those two things are related. I, th- I just think they're just coincidentally no, came, out, came out around the same time. Escalade Trigon came out before, didn't it? Well, no, that would make sense. Not before Wild Wild Realms One was ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, so the Trigon manga same. was like ninety five. Okay, so yeah. maybe they okay. might. It might be. I think maybe but... maybe they were inspired, but they're not yeah, officially they're... related. Right. Yeah. But but yeah, like a sort of steampunk ish Western fantasy setting. Even though Trigun is definitely um, has like space exploration, and uh, Wild Arms is more just sort of. A setting in a sp- oh, 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 is there space stuff there, in Wild Arms? There is, there is big space exploration. Oh, okay, in Wild I've, Arms. Only, I've only played Wild Arms yeah. one, but I don't, but I don't remember oh, any yeah. of the space stuff in it. Oh, the the monsters were aliens in in that one. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh well, I, I mostly, <laughs> I mostly remember liking the name Rudy Roughknight in that in that game. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a great right. main character name. That's very good, good. Sort of drugstore cowboy type of character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, he uses like what uh, knives, shields, and uh, and giant honking uh, steampunk cannons and guns. And then you have mm-hmm. a uh, like a serape wearing katana master and a princess dressed as a cowgirl who casts elemental magic. <laughs> Wild Arms One is all right, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> thank you for the suggestions, Dallas. Who he has a he has a. Uh, Another question for us. Um, one of the, he says one of the great debates with him and his best friend is who's the most powerful video game wizard, and he and they decided that Rita from Tales of Asperia and Valsu from the Seventh Saga are their best candidates. Valsu because he has a uh, a, a spell that um, fully heals his own MP and HP, and I and I remember I remember that from the Seventh Saga. And the one time I beat the Seventh Saga, I used a combination of Lux and Valsu, and the Elixir spell did heavily feature. And uh, he, then he mentions uh, Rita from Tales of Vesperia can get ten fireballs at once going from her base spells. And uh, if you combine that with stun magic, you can basically just stun lock enemies. She has all kinds of crazy crap she can pull off. This is described in several paragraphs, but I'm trying to keep this in the, short in the interest of time, so I apologize, Dallas. And she also can inst- um, has instant casts and uh, multi-hitting spells, all-hitting spells... And she can like refill her own gauges just by spending the gauge. So yeah, Rita's tidal wave is very famous for her going blah 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 all the time. But yeah. <laughs> so those are Dallas's picks for most powerful video game magic users, and uh, he wants to know what our most powerful wizard first round draft picks would be. 
God. Well. Mm. That is a toughie. Yeah. <laughs> Considering I don't actually use a lot of mage classes. <laughs> oh. I think, and this might be a little bit cheating on my end, but Tella from Final Fantasy IV in his prime, which you unfortunately <laughs> don't experience in the game, but from how strong he is as an elderly man, I feel like in his like 20s, 30s, he must have been a beast magic-wise. <laughs> it's like the old Yu Yu Hakusho equivalent. Uh, w- like, would uh, would um, Yusuke's father, if he wasn't you know starving and deliberately killing himself, be the most powerful character in the series? <laughs> Probably yes, but come on, come on. That 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 that's that's too many asterisks. Too much in the appendix. Fair enough. Uh. Okay, so real answer, I think I'll probably go with um, Kuja, Final Fantasy IX. Hmm. Yeah. Destructive man. Yeah, I guess he's expendable, though, isn't he? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, his magic is ultimately his downfall. But it sure is strong. Hmm. But anyways, that's my vote. For me, I'm going to say anybody using the uh, Arithmancer slash Calculator class in Final Fantasy Tactics... Ooh, oh my gosh! Because it <laughs> because it allows uh, um, players to instantly cast spells for um, and target any uh, element that you possibly can in the game using numbers. Basically, if you can pick a number, pick a calculation, pick a spell, and pick a condition, and uh, basically math your way to victory. Like well, let's say you have a calculator that knows holy, and uh, you know that all the enemies are level eleven. You can say, okay, cast holy on everything with a level equal to a prime number, and bla- and then suddenly you'll have an instant full power holy, no charge time, no nothing, anywhere in the game. And uh, if you programming, if you learn enough tricks in the uh, in Final Fantasy Tactics, and also notice trends like how uh, a lot of the time when you in random battles, enemies will all have the same speed stat unless there's a like a panther or a ninja present. Then you can you can you know, like hit. Uh, you can you know that they'll all hit the same charge uh, uh, chart CT benchmarks. So if you just keep an eye on enemy CT and pick a, multi- a number multiple of that, then you can instant kill an entire uh, board. Or just make sure that everyone on your team has fi- has like a fire defense item or a fire healing item and cast fire on on everything at once. Basically, I, I, when I think of most powerful magic user in a game, I think of the ways I can exploit magic systems, and my favorite magic exploitation is Final Fantasy Tactics Calculators, which was mm. renamed Arithmancer mm-hmm. in, uh, in the very nice War of the Lions translation. You want to talk about exploiting a magic system and also a character whose magic is their downfall. Oh, baby. Boy, I've got a good yeah. one here. Um, Blue or Rouge from Saga Frontier? Um, <laughs> huh. Blue's quest, or, oh, like, Blue is the protagonist, and Rouge is his brother, who he's trying to kill, who can be a party member in other other characters' games. Um, Blue's quest is about learning as much magic as he can for this um, showdown uh, with his brother. Now, there's a few routes through the game, and you can only, like, you can... There, there's a few like dueling schools of magic, and you can only pick one from each school. Um, now, um, you can choose your route through the game to pick first you pick up rune magic which isn't that powerful on its own but then you also pick up you can also choose to pick up time magic which is one of the last schools that you'll learn um and is really handy um because it has its ultimate spell is called overdrive um which um speeds up time to give blue um eight turns in one turn Um, that's even that's even crazier than quick in ff6 now, if you have learned 
rune magic. You will also have a rune called stasis rune, um, which um, saves your state. So um, you hit overdrive, uh, fire off seven high-powered attacks, and then you make your eighth turn stasis, and that just makes your next turn in overdrive again. And you can do that all battle long for every battle. I love that. And then he gets trapped in hell, and the game ends. Oh, Hooray. I love oh, a happy well. ending. Yeah. Maybe next time, Blue. <laughs> yeah. So anyone else have a thought on the most powerful magic user in a video game? Is it cheating if I include Celeste? Why would it be I mean... cheating? Because Runic. <laughs> oh. You know, oh, yeah. in, in a 1v1 magic duel, Runic would be a major advantage. That's true. Okay. <laughs> So I was just saying, the thing about Final Fantasy magic use systems is that pretty much any character can be a pretty powerful mage through customization. And 6 especially, there's some pretty crazy stuff you can do. Yeah, 6 is unusual, because the one with the highest natural magic stat is Realm. But uh, Terra and Celeste are second and third in how powerful their magic can get, but are also two of the characters that can use the best weapons and armor. So they, mm-hmm. it's it's a um, really interesting choice how they have uh, magic and stats set up in FF6. But both uh, Terra and Celeste are awesome magic users, who can you know also use MP criticals with Illumina and Ragnarok, which is almost unfair that only them and Edgar can do that without a merit award. But that's a that's some FF6 1999 forum talk. We don't have to deal with that now. <laughs> uh, if I could throw in one more before we go on to the next email. I have to give a special shout out to Jean from the Suikoden series. Ooh, oh yes, yeah, I she's amazing. Her. She's mm. awesome. She's when you finally get to use her in battle. It's like yeah, yeah. yeah. I was a uh, because I played a Suikoden four as my very first entry into the series. So in going back to one, two, and three, where she wasn't a playable party member, kind of hurt a little bit. Mm. Oh, she is a destructive beast, and also I'm pretty sure she's immortal. So yeah, she it seems like she's kind of like a major player in that universe but you know because the series ended you never really found out what was up with her (laughs) just selling runes um okay i think she's got some if i remember correctly i think in five if you bring her to meet lecknot um there's some text that suggests that like they're two sides of the same coin but gene has just chosen to like take it easy in life (laughs) i would do that Yeah. yeah there's definitely a little bit of a Hints in there. There's also uh, in Suikoden 3, when you can play as the little uh, Shiba Inus wandering around yeah. the castle, that tiny chapter. He has little comments on every character, and specifically talking to Jean, she kind of looks at him and goes, don't tell anybody what you really see, and that's it. <laughs> oh, yikes. So what is going on? Um, right, well, I look forward to learning all about Jean in, uh, next month when we um, start talking about Suikoden 2, but for now, I think we've got to move on to the next email. Um, let's see here. Uh, uh, Keegan, how about you read this next one from Matt? From Matt? Sure. All right. So Matt here is a longtime listener, and he's uh, sent us a couple mails in the past, and he has two questions for us. First one, what could Western and Japanese RPG developers learn from each other, and what are each developer's strengths and weaknesses? (laughs) And then his uh, second question for us is, what do we believe is the most underrated RPG of all time? Okay, now uh, you guys might remember from uh, last week's episode. I don't like uh, the terms underrated or overrated in uh, in for internet argument because I think it just it, because it's impossible to assume a ratedness and it's just basically a way of expressing like or dislike. 
with also an air of elitism over uh, over some idea of what a of what a game or a, a work of art's basic rating is. So I, I don't like the terms underrated or overrated. But with that said, uh, most art, underrated RPG of all time, Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter. Sure, that's up there. That's okay, a good one. All right, most underrated know. RPG of all time, Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter. Argument it's, over. It's good. <laughs> good. Very different. I get why people don't like don't like it, but I feel like it's worth giving a chance, kind of as a separate entity from the the breath other Breath of Fire games, because it's got an interesting setting and it's got this cool little survival mechanics and a unique narrative structure, and it's just it's cool. I like it. Music's good. Cool. And um, but the other question: uh, Western and Japanese developers' strengths and weaknesses. Um, for me. Uh, Western RPGs are more about sort of uh, world details and interacting mechanics. Like, uh, you, like you think about the um, the best parts of Dragon Age action or uh, um, Divinity action. It's the way that characters can interact with their um, in battle. Like uh, in the Dragon Age games, you can freeze enemies or make them stunned or brittle, and those states that enemies go into will affect every other ability from every other class. Like, like basically imagine a sort of freeze, like mage freezes, warrior shatters kind of interaction, but that applied to dozens of skills and, and, and not just freeze and shatter. Uh, the, and um, Divinity has even more of those. Like you can, um, you can splash out all the enemies with water and then electrify them. You can Ooh. cast oil air everywhere and then set fire to that. And again, imagine those kind of interactions, but but with dozens of examples and not just a few examples. And uh, and, and for Japanese RPGs, you don't see that you don't see character interactions in battle as much. Like there's uh, there's Chrono Trigger, Dual Text, and Triple Text, but those those are exceptions and not the rules. Like mostly, like Japanese char- uh, RPG characters are more individualist. And like like uh, and more defined by their art and personality. While in Western RPGs, it's almost always about character interaction in battle, in way that I, in a ways that I'm probably overgeneralizing. But but I, I wish there was more character interaction in Japanese RPGs, and I wish characters seemed more like individuals and seemed more memorable in Western RPGs. Because in, in Western RPGs, I, th- I think of like class planning and skill planning, and in Japanese RPGs, I think about like favorite characters and what makes each of them memorable. But th- that's just me. I'm probably overgeneralizing. No, I can absolutely get behind that. Like when I think of Dragon Age, I think more of oh, I prefer playing Warrior. But in a Tales game, I think of oh, I preferred playing this specific character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think personally, for me, I feel like uh, Western RPGs are very good at giving you at least a sense of choice when developing the story. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I think of the Mass Effect series a lot. Like, sometimes, you know, at the end, it kind of comes back around and solidifies no matter what you choose. But the little details that can show up there are super nice. And then you have a game like Planescape Torment, where that ending can absolutely change depending on the choices that you've made. Yeah, the flowchart of possible endings in Planescape, in Planescape Torment is like a, a full megabyte text-only doc. <laughs> it's a beautiful cobweb. <laughs> Going off characters again, something that I don't play many Western RPGs, but I feel the characters are older and they're of more of an age now that I relate to, and Japanese RPGs oh, yeah. always <laughs> present 17-year-olds who are trying to save the world. I'm 24 and I haven't done that yet, and I yeah. don't... 
Well, if like, you're 24, I'm, you're going to be the party's old woman, right? Exactly. Oh, exactly, yeah. And I'm going to yeah. be the teacher, and I'm going to be ruin-obsessed, and probably going to have a large chest. That <laughs> that's, like that. no, thank that's exactly you. the character I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, and, like, Western RPGs don't rest on tropes. As you've already said, there's class things, and you can kind of build your character yourself and create it. Japanese RPGs always settle on these kind of, like, specific character tropes that are have been used and reused as tested over time and mm. things like that and people love and sometimes it works but now that i'm like it, i'm an adult i suppose i don't want to say that like that but you know what i mean um like i don't want to play as 16 year olds who are just you know i don't feel the same compassion i did 10 years ago maybe it's just that i really struggle to understand their kind of development cycle and also their whole like oh yeah i can take on everything now it's like yeah i was like that and then i did some really stupid stuff so yeah you're you know but yeah i just wish that japanese rpgs would maybe grow up a little bit even in tone like the most of the stuff that i play now or how or did used to play it feels much more childish in tone which sometimes i could do with but a lot of the time i do want something that is a bit meatier and a bit more dark quote unquote or like mature i want to tackle mm. interesting subjects and yeah, japanese mature... RPGs don't tackle those anymore for me or are struggling to at the very least <laughs> mature doesn't necessarily have to mean dark but um right. i absolutely agree with you there and that, that's what makes persona 2 eternal punishment so good oh, um, yeah i can't yeah. wait to play those <laughs> yeah I, re- I remember trying to come uh, i think it was a twitter thread or something i was trying people were trying to come up with uh, middle-aged women or in uh playable in rpgs and the list that that ended up was three or four. And one of them was ironically in Dragon Age Origins. Win from Dragon Age Origins was one of the handful that people came up with. But it's a it's it's almost embarrassing the lack of variety of of, of age of characters in a in in Japanese RPGs. It's almost always like someone younger than twenty two or an elderly man. And it, 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 it's it's very it very rarely steps outside those boxes. Or it's a woman who's seven thousand years old but looks like a thirteen year old. Yes. Yeah, like a like oh shoot, like a groon from Tales of Legendia, the the Tales game no one wants to remember. Yeah, I'm right. an ancient dragon in the body of a three foot seven girl. Yep, mm. thanks, thanks every Fire Emblem game. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Fire Emblem is the worst offender. <laughs> I'm not Although I, I did enjoy uh, I did enjoy having in Grand in uh, Grandia three the main character's mother Miranda is uh, your main character's like hey mom I'm going on a quest and she says not mm-hmm. you're like you're 14 absolutely not I'm coming with you <laughs> yeah and that's she exactly the one off <laughs> yeah like Miranda is a wonderful counterexample and I would love to have more of her in JRPGs but alas again mm-hmm. the, those characters kind of characters are much less common in Japanese RPGs than in Western ones. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to build on that too, Alana, because I agree with you fully for tone as well as for art style. Um, I think um, for me, I love um, Western fantasy literature. Um, like I grew up reading Tolkien and like I've read a bunch of Forgotten Realms, like kitschy D&D tie-in novels when I was growing up. And like now like I'm reading stuff like Game of Thrones and uh, uh, Joe Abercrombie's First Law trilogy. Uh, thank you for the recommendation, by the way, Rob. Steinman, who's maybe listening to this, I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, but um, for me, with JRPGs, I look at the JRPGs that really stick with me, and like stuff like Final Fantasy XII and the Evil East universe, for example, where it's mm-hmm. like they go for a more Western fantasy look um, and more of a political intrigue-focused story. I think that's a, those are games that meld the merits of WRPGs and JRPGs in a really interesting way. 
um, that I really jive with. Um, and it's something where like something, um, there's a YouTuber, Super Bunny Hop, did a really interesting in analysis on um, a canceled Final Fantasy project that IDOS was working on. Was that Fortress? No, um, that's, oh, no, that was this. That was the European one. No, this was on um, this one. The Project W, quote unquote. It's a really interesting video a series of videos. I would recommend checking out. He did two of them, but um, he got a hold of some concept art and was like, they were basically going to be making a an epic space a space opera with seamless transitions from in, from flying into space and landing on planets, um, and with like a you really unique fractal art style like focusing on weird geometric shapes and stuff and that's the kind of thing that like as a weird focus on sci-fi but with a more of a an edge to it that you don't really see in jrpgs very often that i would appreciate because i i love a lot but i love jrpgs they're the primary games i play but i look at a lot of the kind of samey kind of i hate this i hate I, I hate how this is gonna make me sound but like i look at a lot of tales stuff and i'm like this is just kind of saccharine and really jive. no you're right <laughs> like yeah it's it, totally it, right. yeah that, that's that's how i feel about a lot of jrpgs coming out and then whereas i want something a little more grounded a little more uh a little more western i guess so yeah tone and art are definitely things that i think I was just going to say, like, thinking of a couple of more recent examples, even though Nino Kuni 2 is not the best example, at least, I guess, the main character, because I don't really think Evan is the main character. Roland is an adult, at least. But he does de-age to a 23-year-old, you know. But he does kind oh, of work. Even, even, even when we... Point. Yeah, even when a, a, an adult character enters, they have to de-age just to be in a JRPG. Yeah. Great. Exactly. <laughs> but um, thinking President more recently, baby. Well, like Octopath, I guess I'm getting the feeling might do that because most of the characters, mm. if I'm not wrong, they are they are in their twenties or thirties or at least suggested, aren't they? I would suppose they're quite a motley group of weirdos. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. A, a couple of them have to be teenagers. I think, I think the Merchant Girls is a. Uh... Yeah, she's a teen one. Yeah. Young. yeah, and that's fine. Um, but, but, yeah, but, but that has better diversity than average by, based on age, for sure. Mm. Yeah, mm. and so I think that's probably why Berseria, like, got me a little bit more than more recent Tales games, because it was mm. it was a little bit more adult, um, but, like, it was, it felt more grounded, and it felt more like, it still had tropes, and it was still, like, jrpg fun times but it was at least had something in it that was more just like best friends saving the world with the power of love kind of thing that i'm really sick and tired of now <laughs> oh yakuza is a jrpg kiryu's a 50 year old grandpa and yakuza 6 oh, oh yeah <laughs> please um and somehow he's still the sexiest character in the game of course uh, Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, never mind. Okay, now you guys are never appearing on an episode of Retro Encounter ever, ever again for for untruths. I don't know or what I was saying with Nino Kuni too, but it, I was not expecting um a guy to pull out a real ass block. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You're in the head. Those fools. Five minutes. I was like, oh god. <laughs> it worked though. <laughs> After he presumably died in a nuclear explosion. <laughs> yeah, this is the start of Nino Kuni 2, everyone. Oh. <laughs> and then it's all downhill from there. I'm, I'm... <laughs> Akatoshi Kawazu's saga games put the emphasis on the world and your path through it, as opposed to like an authored linear narrative. 
but the finer details end up getting dialed back or erased um, in the process. So I would love to see like a, a Kawazu-style game with a script the size of something like Torment. Ooh, I'd like that. The really problem cool. is you'd have to play a Kawazu game. Okay, Kawazu <laughs> World with a better, um, less uh, hostile um, uh, mechanical system. Fair, okay, okay. That... Uh... And in fact, we can we can talk about these fictional dream games in a couple emails. But uh, first, uh, Alana, can you read this next one from Ernie? Yeah, um, a short and sweet one. Uh, hi, Retro. Love the pod. Always listen to it when I'm driving to and from work. I have a discussion topic I'd like to hear your thoughts on, which is something we've actually covered as a podcast and a feature in its best ensemble cast in RPGs. So he's given suggestions for Final Fantasy VI and Persona 4, which I think are two of the biggest ones. Um, Indeed. Are there um, any... Uh, yeah. So, so uh, for that feature, which I think was around a year ago, I think it was episode 99 of the podcast, because I remember planning episode 100 at the same time as recording that one, and I even, uh, my pick was Persona 4 for that episode. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I would suggest listeners first uh, listen to that episode. There's uh, uh, myself and four others give um, suggestions for really good ensemble cast and RPGs. I'm trying to think of all of them. It was, it was Persona 4, Final Fantasy 7, Final Fantasy 12, Kudelka, and uh, I, I, and Borderlands or Borderlands Two, I forget. One and one of the Borderlands games was Dom's pick in that episode. But uh, I, I won't pop off on Persona Four anymore. I think that game has uh, very memorable characters. Uh, please check out the feature in the podcast. But let's have each of the four of you go into some detail on one of the one of your favorite ensemble casts in an RPG. Starting with uh, Keegan, hit us. Okay, uh, for me, I think I'm gonna have to go with Xenoblade Chronicles One. I feel like the whole party mem- or all the party members really start to form a family together and especially their in battle dialogue really helps to make their connections like some of their cries when a party member dies in battle it's actually really heart-wrenching all right uh peter what's one of your um favorite ensemble cast in an, in an rpg uh, it's a really recent one but the the persona 5 cast i really really dug them i i huh. love those i I, li- I like their interactions i think i think it's I think Persona 5, for all of its uh, uh, weird, inconsistent theming, one thing it does get really right is the sense that, like, okay, you have a weird group of misfits that normally would not have anything to do with each other um, coming together in a social setting. And I really appreciated that. I like, I, I don't think there's a single party member I dislike. Um, I mean, Haru's a little underdeveloped, but I still love her. Like, mm-hmm. um, Haru's a sweetheart. They, they should have just introduced her two quests earlier. Morgana. Morgana is like the first RPG mascot character I don't want to strangle. So, because he's Morgana's awesome. A G. I, I love, I love him. Like he's just concerned about you getting to sleep on time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all need to. Which is like the opposite of what my cat does. Love you, Squeaks. Um, <laughs> it's just yeah. I, Persona Persona Five just really, really kind of did it for me. And even the supporting cast is like fantastic. I love Sojiro. Like he's like one of the best, one of the best like RPG dads. Sojiro and Dojima would totally have a great night hanging out drinking coffee together. I absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I'm half expecting, uh, I'm half expecting uh, Dojima to like come visit the, uh, visit the the cafe. Maybe, but, um, uh, maybe Mutatsu the monk from Persona Three, and uh, oh, and shoot, who, who's who's the Odysseus character in Persona Two: Eternal Punishment? Um, the old man, Rob. You know who I mean. Oh. Uh, mm, I don't know. You, you know the the fifth main character who's uh who's like an, who's like an internet an internet informant. 
Oh, is that a he's not old. Yeah, yeah. He's like thirty. Baofu. Yeah. Baofu. So, so you you you're not telling me you wouldn't play a game with Baofu, Dojima, Sojiro, and Mutatsu just hanging out. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> the the only character I'm leaving off of my uh my out of this favorites group is um Akechi because seriously that like Yagami piece of crap can get out of my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. I love pancakes. Me too, but not yeah. Yeah, the, 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 I I need a little bit more than pancakes out of that guy. I'm afraid. Internet, we need to, we need to have a talk. Just because you can make memes about them does not <laughs> they're good characters. Mm-hmm. All right, people so... really want to diddle that guy. <laughs> <laughs> the internet has the same kind of hard on for a catchy that they do for Draco Malfoy. And uh-huh. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's see, we got Persona 5 and Xenoblade 1. Uh, Alana, what's an ensemble cast that's worth celebrating? Well, I wrote for the feature, so I did Tales of Asperia because there are more. Oh, okay. It's a very good one. I am going to just toss in my favorite RPG and say Skies of Arcadia because it's cheating because you have 26 crew members as well. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love that main party. Again, going back to tropes, they do fulfill a separate trope, but I think they do them all perfectly and they bounce off of each other really well. And there is a real sense of camaraderie in those six and the 26 crew members that you have, and I love them. So. Spoiler alert! In the next email, I wanted to go into Skies of Arcadia a little bit, but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I I, I love the Skies of Arcadia team building and crew, and um, the interaction that you have with everyone, both on your ship and on pirate and on uh, Pirate Island or Crescent Island. You you know, which I mean, your base is yeah, yeah, Crescent Island. Pirate Island is the first island in the game where your family lives, and Crescent Island is where your base is, right? Yes. Right, it's been, it's been a long time. Sorry, but anyway, yeah, I, I'm I'm totally with you. Building your own pirate crew and having all of them be so unique, and uh, all of them having interactions, and two of them even getting married at the end is just the greatest. Oh, oh, my heart. And one of them, yeah. Well, wait, I was gonna spoil something. Let's not spoil that bit. Got it right. <laughs> and and again, Alana, I I know I've told you this before, and I'm gonna make it official on the podcast. The moment this guys of Arcadia has a re-release on PC or elsewhere. Um, and it becomes more publicly available. We will do an episode on it, like with like within weeks of that happening. <laughs> Full guarantee. Copy ready to go. Full guaranteed. I have. I do have a copy of Legends ready to go, but I uh, I, I want it. I want it to have better access and better availability before we officially do that podcast. But yeah. it will happen. I I promise. Because it, 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 when when that happens, will be the time I want to replay that game. Yeah, me too. <laughs> And uh, Rob, you're the only one that hasn't chimed in yet. What's a uh, an ensemble cast in an RPG that you really love? All right, you know it. You know what it's going to be a struggling teen magazine columnist, a lonely fashion conscious lingerie store clerk, a freaking cop, an ex triad <laughs> ah. wiretapper, ah, and yes. a schoolboy who knows more than he's letting on. It's a t- it's Persona Two: Eternal Punishment, a game with four adult um, party members who are all b- bickering, but not in an obnoxious way. I love it's good. That. So Persona 2's cast is really good. Like, and, and and it's sort of weird. Persona 2 is Innocent Sin is like a uh, is a four teenagers game, and then Eternal Punishment is almost a subversion of the events of Innocent Sin, but with four adults instead of mm. four teenagers. It's mm-hmm. it, it's such it's so cool. I've only beaten Innocent Sin and started Eternal Punishment, but man, and those like, games are the... those games are dope. You see so many characters from Persona, like the main characters of Persona 1 is grown-ups, and they actually look older, unlike, you know, everybody who looks the same in the trailers that I've seen for Trails of Cold yeah, Steel 4. I think three of them are party members, or at least temporary ones. Yeah, um, uh, Ellie and um, Nanjo return 
Um, in Eternal Punishment, but, but, but then yeah. one, Yukino is, or Yukina? Oh yeah, Yukino yeah, in, she's, she's uh, in, Innocent, in Sin. Innocent Sin. Yeah, right. of course. That, Very cool. I, I just wish that there there was a little bit less, you know, obtrusive systems, and I wish that collecting cards was easier. Yeah, it's still a damn sight better than um, Persona 1. Yeah, Persona still. 1, which is not a game appearing on the podcast anytime soon. <laughs> uh, my, my my dislike of Persona 1 is well documented, but uh, Persona 2 is super cool. I just wish that PSP version of Internal Punishment had come over here, and I really do not understand what happened there. I, th- I think they, they they just looked at numbers and decided, you know, we could either spend a lot of time and energy localizing this, or we could just make sure that the PS1 version is uh, is available on PSN, and they chose Dorpy. Fair enough. So, all right, uh, thank you, Ernie, for that email about cats and characters. Uh, Rob, can you read, read this email from Emon Zymon? Okay, uh, build your dream RPG. For example, an MMO with infinite levels and linear leveling, um, a lineage system where you create children or adopt children to continue your game after you die, uh, skills that can be taught by your parents or mentors, and combat that is more realistic or incorporates losing limbs. Ooh, grim. Um, I love the show, and if you actually answer this, I shall name my firstborn child Randall Platypus Games. Um, I, uh, I don't think we can answer this. Um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> well, no, okay, no, we absolutely, we absolutely will answer this, and I, uh, and I expect to see a, you know, a scanned birth certificate in, in sometime in the next. 20 all right, years. all right. This, this is all you. I have <laughs> nothing right. to do with this. Well, okay. okay. Um, now parsing this question a little bit, I think. What Emon Zymon is asking is, if we were to have our dream RPG, what would some of the mechanics be? Like, like what's a what's maybe a dream mechanic that we would see in a RPG made exactly to our tastes? And that, that's how I'm interpreting it. And so that's what how I'll answer it. And uh, and Alana, I promised I was going to have a uh, um, some Skies of Arcadia in this in this email. And basically, I love the Skies of Arcadia conceit of recruiting a crew of NPCs and party members and having each of them interact with your base or your or your ship and that, that's also a bit of a Suikoden thing but it's done mm-hmm. with cool anime sky pirates in uh, Skies of Arcadia so naturally I prefer that way and uh, um, basically a game with a large cast with some of them as supporting members and some of them as main members and having many of them, and maybe going a bit beyond Skies of Arcadia, and having most of your recruitable characters have either an end game quest or a uh, or a late game or late game development is what I uh, what I like. So a large cast, so, some support, some active, and development for all of those characters. So a little bit of Mass Effect Two, a little bit of Skies of Arcadia. Yeah, that that that's something that would be in my dream game. Um, uh, Peter, do you have a either a uh, some kind of mechanic or story element that would be present in a dream RPG for you. Um <laughs> this is a, this is less of a dream game and more of a dream a pipe dream project but god I want Final Fantasy 16 to be turn-based. <laughs> I just uh, every time every time we, we as, I, as many of the listeners probably know I help cover with the RPG and news staff and uh Whenever we cover the Final Fantasy VII remake, and we have to write some article about, like, I was reading the comments on this one article where we were, t- we were talking about how the VII remake was going to be an action combat system, which we already know, and it's just like, and I'm just like, the the trend toward action combat is not something I'm opposed to on principle, but it seems so trend chasey and unnecessary and like focus grouped and whatever, and I'm just like, 
just make a turn-based game, guys. I know you can do it. Hmm. I feel like people would buy it. I know I'd buy it. I, that's that's my $60 for what it's worth. Ugh. I would also really like it if they if they brought back that Project W thing that I was talking about earlier. Because the idea of a, of a Final Fantasy, of a, a JRPG that goes proper space opera, not like in the Star Ocean sense where it's all on a medieval planet and that, and it sucks, but <laughs> space opera would be great. All right. Uh, so, Keegan, what's what's a some kind of mechanic or element that you'd see in your dream RPG? Okay, I'm trying to pierce it together. Um, I really like the base building aspects of the Suikoden series. I also really like specifically the war battles of Suikoden 3, where rather than each unit being a bunch of faceless people led by a commando, each unit is playable characters that you have to control when they go into actual battle. Because you like a little... So like sort of like or sort of like sort of like ogre battle for the SNES then. Yes. That sounds so cool. much better. And, <laughs> and then two more things. I want the social links of specifically Persona Five because I kind of like how they all tied in to helping the mission. Right. Yeah. Like you know, befriending the guy who runs the gun shop. He helps you to supply stuff. Befriending yeah. the informants. It felt more concise than three and four personally to me. Yeah, the non-party member links in three and four not having. Benefits to battle other than their type of persona leveling was 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 a missed opportunity. I think. Yeah, yeah. they they got there in the end. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then finally, bring back the dress sphere system. Heck yeah! yeah. I'd love yeah. That. I'm all about that paper dolling, baby. Oh yeah, and that is my <laughs> dream RPG. I have no. Oh wait, forgot last thing. I want the moral freedom of the Planescape Torment. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Let me be a saint or let me be a horrible monster. <laughs> and change my clothes all the time. Yes, and build a base and make friends. Either That's an it. evil base That's... or a good base or a morally neutral base. This is yeah. just The Sims with RPG elements. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call me out like that, Alana. <laughs> wow. <laughs> all right, so Alana, your turn. What, what are some dream mechanics in a uh, hypothetical dream RPG for you? God, um... I never really know what I want until I play something, if that makes sense. Like, I never think ahead to what I really want out of a game. But I guess, to be cliche, I'd like MMO Pokemon in one form, or at least a bigger scope Pokemon game. But for me, I guess I just like another RPG set in real-life events like Shadow Hearts and twist it a little bit. Oh, cool. Okay. I just, I don't ever know what I want. and Like, I don't ever go into something going, it must have this, 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 and this to be perfect. It's just like, it'll happen and it'll fall into place for me. Um, but otherwise, Skies of Arcadia stuff is always great. Recruit a pirate ship that is in actual, you know, West Indies, uh, <laughs> yes. 1660s. Uh, Henry Morgan's the final boss. Yeah, who sa- who says no? Not me. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to say no to that. <laughs> who could? Uh, Shadow Hearts 4. Ooh. Yeah. Speaking of pipe that. dreams. <laughs> Dig up the rights to Shadow Hearts at whatever yard sale they're at. So, uh, Rob, uh, you're the only one that hasn't spoken up. Uh, do you have a dream mechanic or dream scenario for a uh, um, for a hypothetical RPG? Like, I'm pretty easy. Um, I probably could have been... I probably would have found this easier to answer if I was younger. Um, but now I'm a little bit more pragmatic, and I'm pretty happy just to experience different... Uh, creators works um i think my dream games are the ones that like 
I hope to actually make one day, you know, when I actually, you know, when I, when I eventually, um, rob a bank and build a moon base and can just like <laughs> spend the time not working and just like making my masterpieces. So, um, okay. I've got a few text documents with like plans for a cyberpunk RPG about exorcists and a, um, post-apocalyptic roguelike based on Sumerian flood myth. Original ideas do not steal. Um, so Pistin, oh, the RPG. Um, uh, hard sci-fi, uh, Dark Souls or a cyberpunk Dark Souls. Ooh. Yeah, make oh, that, make that from that'd be cool. I would love that. Like based on like blame. I want to punch one more thing into my bit. I've just realized more queer characters that are yes, just oh, really yeah. oh, well thank you. represented. Please, bye. So what you're saying is not Persona four or five. Is what I is not, what I'm, I'm, I'm thinking right now. Not most JRPGs. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> Sorry to lump them in. More Emils. More Emils. More Junes. Yes. Uh, what a good boy. <laughs> All right, so uh, thank you, Emin Zaimon, for kickstarting that discussion about RPG dream mechanics. Uh, now I'll, I'll read this next one from Halfpenny. It's uh, it's it's pretty long, so I'm gonna afraid I'm gonna have to shorten it a bit. Uh. From Halfpenny, he writes, I love Retro Encounter, and when I heard we could submit suggestions in an email before episode 150, I had to suggest you give an episode or series to this gem. Uh, Knights in the Nightmare, Sunaho Toba's signature adorable hulking armor-clad character design, juxtaposing chokingly tragic theme and plot. Now, uh, he goes into great detail over what Knights in the Nightmare entails. It's a... Uh, it, uh, now, Rob, if I'm not mistaken, it's also a Sting game in that uh, same subseries as Yggdra Union and Riviera? Yep, it's another Department Heaven game. It's a very, um, it was very critically acclaimed. I think it's pretty tough to get on DS now. It was like an isometric strategy RPG, but like in between um, turns, like you had to guide this little wisp with the stylus and you had to like dodge bullets, like sort of bullet hell kind of thing. It was neat as heck. Um, it's, I believe it's on the Vita marketplace for PSP, Okay, uh, but I don't know how that works without the stylus. That's interesting. Cause if, if it was a PSP game, that means it would have had non touchscreen gameplay. Um, yeah, there's a couple, just uh, around with that little nub. Yeah. There's a couple shmup games on the DS that use that utilize the text surprisingly well. My favorite one is, mm. uh, a very underrated fireworks shooter called, uh, bang, bang mini. I'm sorry. 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 Big bang mini. And um, th- that game's excellent, but That's a cute name. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a very cool game where um, basically you shoot fireworks with the stylus, and um, if you miss a target, then the fireworks come back down as sparks that you have to dodge. And it has <laughs> it has a really really cool visual style as well. Um, I love that game, but uh, yeah, Knights in the Nightmare I, again, a game that I that I know by like the cover, but I'm not sure. I don't know if I own it or not. I might have I might have. Uh, like impulse bought it on PSP once upon a time, but we're, we're really getting some some sting shine in this episode that I wasn't necessarily expecting. So maybe uh, maybe we need to maybe we need to scratch one of those off. I don't know. I was always interested in playing that game. Um, since again, I, this is this is where a lot of my interest comes from. But they was they were talking about it in Nintendo Power, and I was on a huge DS RPG kick. I was like, I should really check that out, and I never did. But so. Eh, maybe this would be a chance to fix that. And um, Halfpenny ends the email with, uh, This game should be talked about more and held aloft as an absolute pinnacle of theme expression and innovation, and innovation in this genre, but the difficult-to-understand mechanics perhaps contributed to its relative obscurity. 
So, I didn't know the story was that in depth. I'm I'm gonna have to check this out. Yeah, I'm 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 curious. I'm I'm definitely much more curious about Yggdra Union and Knights in the Nightmare following these emails. Thank you so much, Halfpenny, for uh, for emailing us. That we are definitely going to add Knights in the Nightmare to our sort of ongoing list of game ideas. And uh, now, um, uh, Peter, can you read this next one from Michelle? Of course, from Michelle, we have hi RPG Retro Encounters. Happy 150th episode! Thank you. Um, and he wants to know if any of us have any experience with the Harvest Moon franchise. Um, do we have a favorite game in the franchise or any Harvest Moon related memories? Um, he goes on to talk about um, his about his experience with the series, playing the SNES game, um, and how the N64 entry never reached Europe. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, I think it came out eventually on the Wii U. Oh, is it? Virtual that console? Long time to wait for. Yeah, um, but it's a big deal that it didn't come out here. People were quite sad. Now, to answer to answer your yeah, question, Wii U uh, last year in in February. Oh, oh wow, wow. So that, that's super late. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, there was emulation problems that like held it up until the very end. But I've been meaning oh, to give that a look. A 2017 oh. Wii U game is is uh, the, the, how <laughs> yep. how they got a an N64 title. So probably before between, Zelda. Probably between oh god, before Zelda. So probably between uh, at 19 or 20 years. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I have no experience with the Harvest Moon series. I have a passing curiosity in them um, because I know a lot of friends who are really into it and. Games like Story of Seasons really pique my interest. Um, I am uh, not Story of Seasons, uh, Stardew Valley. I know I, that looks Stardew Valley looks like something I would really get into. I am very, however, very interested in Little Dragons Cafe. Heck yeah, got my I, copy pre-ordered. Uh, it looks so cute, and I'm just I'm all I'm all about that. So I might I might actually be giving that one a try um, on Switch, presume probably because get it on the Switch. <laughs> And but, uh, uh, Peter, yeah. I'm in a similar situation to you. I've never played a Harvest Moon game or Stardew Valley, even though I recently bought Stardew Valley, uh, and, or a Rune Factory game, or even an Animal Crossing game. For somehow, all of these adorable farming sims have skipped me over, and I have been tempted by them several times, but I'm not really sure where to begin with any of them. So I, I don't really have experience in Harvest Moon at all, or in any farm, in any you know cutesy farming sim, other than maybe about 90 minutes in the Stardew Valley. <laughs> my roommate in college loved Rune Factory. Like he was all over that. Like mm-hmm. he, I remember him. He was playing when Rune Factory Four came out. That was actually the game he bought a D a three DS for. Um, <laughs> and he was uh, he was going. He, yeah, he but that, he had some. He had a very interesting perspective on games that I appreciate to this day. I really, I'm very very interested in the output of Yasuhiro Wada, who created um, Harvest Moon. Um, he grew up uh, in uh, a rural part of Japan, um, and then he just, you know, sort of devoted his uh, time in games to replicating this sort of like slow life, rural farming, farming sim. And although um, I kind of missed the boat on Harvest Moon because it came out in like Super Nintendo in like 1997 or 1998 mm-hmm. uh, in the West, and I, I had moved to the UK at that point, so I couldn't couldn't grab a copy. Um, so I kind of missed out on those, but um, you know he's doing Little Dragon Cafe at the moment. That looks amazing. Um, yeah, I just like his 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 ethos towards like okay, let's you know let's stop and um, smell the roses and make them grow at the same time. Um, but the first farming sim that I really got into was um, Stardew, which like really got its hooks into me um, at the beginning of last year, 
And I would just like, I just check in on my farm every day. And then like, Oh, it's winter. I can't grow any crops. So I'm going to like tickle my chicken and then make some mayonnaise. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's an incredibly lovely meditative experience. And I'm sure, um, that the harvest moon games are as well, but like, it seems like there's a lot of, um, kinks and eccentricities that you'd have to deal with going back to those. Whereas like Stardew just scratches that itch very nicely for me, but, um, I'm definitely going to be there for little dragons cafe next month. Mm. I was a big fan of the harvest moon series from, I'd say the N64 games to like the beginning of the Wii games. Once they started putting in a little bit of motion control, I really lost interest, but I'd have to say my favorite was a uh, Harvest Moon, a Wonderful Life on GameCube and PS2. Yes, that's the best one. Yeah. Yes, because it's not just a farming sim. You also play through your entire life as like a young man or a uh, young man or woman in her twenties, all the way up until literally the day you die. Yeah. <laughs> so you get to yeah. experience the town evolving, your own child growing up, and going down different uh, different paths of life as you influence them, like it was amazing. And it makes me really sad that there aren't other Harvest Moon games like it. Mm, where the series has fallen off is where they've split, isn't it? So Natsume, I'm going to get this wrong. One company owns the name and then the other one owns the okay. mechanics, don't they? Na- Natsume owns the name. Marvelous yeah. owns the game. So in Japan, it's Bokujo Monogatari, which just means farm story. But the English title was Harvest Moon. Um, then Marvelous uh, partnered with Exceed. Uh, as we know, um, Exceed is is owned is now owned by Marvelous. So they're like, okay, we're going to have you release these games instead of Natsume. And Natsume was like, hell no, we're going to make some games called Harvest Moon that aren't as good, just to spite you. So, um, so, so, so what's the, so what's the developer though? It's it's not Marvelous. the developer is Marvelous. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Right. Yeah. And story and story um, of seasons are the marvelous games published by. Story Exceed. of seasons is the continuation of Bokujo Monogatari, and it's still got the same name in Japan. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, so that's that's that confusion. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds yeah, confusing. No. I'm just wondering who's developing the Natsume Harvest Moon games. I guess Natsume must be, but go I figure. Think, yeah. Um. But yeah, I've played the GameCube one and one of the Wii ones. Um. Much the same, Keegan. I loved the GameCube game. It was so fun. Um, I loved seeing myself grow up, get married, have children. It was just really magical. And I don't really remember too much otherwise because it's been so long since I played it. But going off of what Robert was saying earlier, um, I bought Stardew Valley on Switch earlier this year and I have put about 100 hours into it in the space of a month. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I absolutely adore it. And I think it does everything that Harvest Moon was doing but just gets it right like it's got its own flavor and there's more characters to interact with as well and i just really love it and i would love to see i would love to try some of the story of seasons games but i kind of feel like Sardu might have scratched the itch and got it and i'm more of an animal crossing person slightly yeah (laughs) i have a copy of animal crossing uh new leaf just sitting in my 3ds wallet but i've i don't know I'm, i'm a i'm a little hesitant to and, and slightly worried about what an Animal Crossing would do to my, uh, you know, addictive brain. I've got Stardew on my wish list on Switch, and I'm. Uh, yeah, I, I bought it on Switch. I don't know. I don't know when we're getting another Animal Crossing. Uh, Nintendo <laughs> has been pretty content to let that IP die. Which, I don't uh, know. We just had yeah, that mobile game last year. I reckon they're working on the Switch version. 
I'm, I'm yeah, sure there's there have been board meetings about Animal Crossing Switch because uh, the, the Switch is there is you know spinning strong to gold right now. They're 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 considering every option for that machine. <laughs> that die is a little over dramatic on my part. I guess the, the people. I, I feel like Pocket Camp like came and went. Like people were really into it that first mm. like week, and then it had a lot of problems. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Well, um, thank you so much, Michelle, for that Harvest Moon-themed email. Um, Alana, can you read this email from Oliver for us? Yeah, um, so it's a big thank you email. Uh, Dear Retro Encounter team, thank you very much for recording the podcast. You guys rock. Thanks so much. Um, I really enjoy listening to the discussions on games that I played in the past when new episodes are released. I also made a habit to search the older episodes after playing new and old games, done recently after playing Final Fantasy VI for the first time, which is really cool. And he's brought up Shadow Hearts, which was our last episode that we posted last uh, last week. And mm. it's a really cool series, and I'm glad you've played it as well. So he's played through Covenant and From the New World, and I really like both. And he's looking forward to listening to this episode later today so you've probably listened to it so i hope you enjoyed it because shadow hearts is an underloved gem and i feel a little bad for preferring covenant over it because i'd like to go back and play it now the first game because i think i'd like it more um i really like it and if there's a newcomer to the show it's always really more interesting because you can come like contrast and compare the companions between the two um the new and the old players um but yeah, it was just a very big, long thank you email, and he didn't have anything specific, but just wanted to thank us all for producing RPG fan podcasts on the site. Uh, one thing he does mention, though, is that he would like us to talk about Disgaea at some point, which I think Solosi <laughs> would love. That is, a, <laughs> that is a hell of a dual podcast episode, I would say. I'm not um, sure ready. <laughs> there's I'm, there's I'm that massive to... remake of one coming out soon. Yes, Disgaea oh. 1. Uh, it, now, Disgaea 1 Complete is coming out for the switch soon the uh switch version yeah. of disgaea 5 was also called disgaea 5 complete mm-hmm. so uh and uh, i i think i've said this on other podcasts so i apologize for preening myself but i really like disgaea's one through four for different reasons um one and four are my two favorites disgaea d2 okay. for the ps3 is not very good and you should avoid that one but mm-hmm. uh but and and i haven't played disgaea 5 but i really want to um, I would I would totally revisit a Disgaea game for the podcast. I would definitely only focus on beating the plot and not around all the side stuff I normally do for a Disgaea game. Uh, <laughs> if I was playing it for the podcast, but it's oh, we gotta there's... get Demon Lord Bell. Yeah, well, well, he's level four thousand, man. <laughs> I don't want to grind to level four thousand just for, do that for a podcast do when that. I could be playing Dragon Quest Eleven instead. <laughs> uh, uh, for the record, um, one uh, now we know this, but listeners might not. Um, uh, Dragon Quest XI is in the grubby hands of one of our reviewers right now, and hearing him uh, talk briefly about it in our uh, in our like editor ed- editor chat room it makes me insanely jealous. <laughs> oh boy! I like the way he just drip feeds it like every like a couple yeah. days, one mm-hmm. tiny thing. He's trained well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's ringing Pavlov's bell, and I am Pavlov's Pavlov's dog. Yeah, but but anyway, You're a good uh, boy. oh thanks. But anyway, um, thank you, Oliver. And uh, he Oliver ends his email with greetings from Germany. So we have some fans in Ooh. Germany, and that is and that Ooh. is amazing. Yeah. And uh, the, the, our German fans want us to play Disgaea. Just saying, that's you know, maybe maybe it's not such a bad idea. Important. Now, uh. Let's see. Uh, Rob, how about you read this email from Josh? But not. Uh, this is not Josh Curry. This is a different Josh from a different video game website. <laughs> Am I allowed to say who it is? Um, maybe don't say the, the surname, but you can say who, uh, 
you can say where it's he's jo- from. It's, uh, it's Josh from RP Gamer, um, uh, a uh, sort of uh, sister site to us, um, in a sense. Um, I really love those guys. Anyway, Josh. Shout out, shout out to Mac, the nicest person on the internet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, um, Becky and uh, Sam as well are wonderful to talk to. Uh, congrats on reaching 150. Putting on a good podcast is really hard work, and you all do an excellent job every week. A question for the panel. What's the most embarrassing inclusion on your backlog, the classic amazing RPG that you've just never gotten around to playing? What do we think, folks? Well, okay. Oof. Now, for, for, for 15 years, my answer to this question was Suikoden 2. But I am currently playing it. I most recently played it about 30 minutes before we began recording. So uh, I'm crossing that off my list very, very soon, hopefully, and because I mean, it better be soon because I think we're our first Sweet in Two episode is in two or three weeks, so I I, I better fi- um, finish that thing soon. I'm a little bit behind, I think, too. I, I'm not sure what my new answer would be. Give me a minute or two to think about it. Um, Keegan, what is your a- answer to this question? And and, okay. and I should and uh, before you answer, I should mention um we do cover these a little bit, this kind of question a little bit on two episodes, one from. I think uh, uh, late 2016 and one from earlier this year, the confessional episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alana, you joined me for one of those, and Keegan, you joined me for one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, I've managed to catch up on a lot of the stuff that I uh, talked about in my confessional, touched it on the Grandia series and the Breath of Fire. But, <laughs> and I get yelled about this. I get yelled at about this in an upcoming episode, but Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars <laughs> has just been calling for me and i just have not found the time to get to it and i know i'm gonna love it and i know i'm gonna have fun with it but i just can't find the time i, I don't remember if the yelling was me peter or both but i'm 100 percent certain it happened yes yeah. <laughs> like 10 Boy. hours you can do it i know it, 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 it's more like hours. 15 hours but it's still it's not it's not a very long or challenging game and it's and it's just beautiful and wonderful i know i've just got like three things i'm playing right now and i just yeah for my own sanity, I can't add a fourth story into my brain. Too many games. What a yeah. problem. <laughs> All right, so do we have any any other volunteers for their uh, their white whale of an RPG? <laughs> Embarrassing is tough because I'm mostly what I play is RPGs. Um, so. Uh, I think what's more embarrassing is the fact that I've like never played a God of War, and like the only Tomb Raider I've played has been like Angel of Darkness under duress from an insistent. Ex. <laughs> that's an that's an odd choice. Um, like well, of, of all the Tomb Raider games, that one's maybe last. Like I would recommend I, I would oh, recommend yeah. the, I the, mo- the mobile the mobile Lara Croft games over that. Yeah, <laughs> those those um, don't look bad. <laughs> Uh, it's mostly some like obscure things that I just couldn't afford at the time. Like I've always wanted to play the Magna Carta series, even though I hear they're none of them are very good. But Callens is a it's... beautiful boy. Oh, oh, Tears of Blood for the PS2. Yeah, there's Tears oh. of Blood, there's Phantom of Avalanche for for. I PC. forgot they made more than one of those. And there was a Xbox 360 sequel that had limited release as well. Tears of Blood is not a very good RPG, but the art yeah, is gorgeous. Not, the art is so art. pretty. So pretty. It's it's um, crazy, man. It's a yeah. It's it's a Korean made RPG. And, it is, uh, yeah. It's off Max. Right, but I oh man, I I borrowed Magna Carta from a friend, and uh, I was I was I mean the, the character art is breathtaking, but the action mm. is not good. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Callens is a Callens is a handsome man though. Who? Oh, he's beautiful. <laughs> um, um. I've missed the boat on a few Saturn games that I'm hoping to return to. Um, I um, I have uh, 
somebody has hooked me up with a copy of uh, Panzer Dragon Saga, so I am I'm gonna have to. Um, oh, you're gonna have I'm gonna to, have to de- devote oh, the 15 my. hours or so that's, to. Uh, that's one thing I have over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Nice, nice. I, you I'm, know, I'm I, 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 so far. I could make my embarrassing pick um, any RPG for the Genesis or Saturn <laughs> because mm, I, yeah. I don't think I've finished any game on either of those uh, consoles except for maybe, I think, uh, I think uh, uh, some group playthroughs of either Golden Axe or Streets of Rage. I've, I've, I've beaten those, but other than that, I have never really finished a single Genesis or Saturn game. That includes all their RPGs. Fantasy Saturn Star- has some... Amazing RPGs yeah, that Shining are just Force, locked away forever. Uh, Fantasy Star Four, more Shining Forces on the Saturn. Uh, is Guardian Heroes that count as an RPG? I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I haven't, I haven't played that, but it looks awesome. It rules. It's one of the best. Oh uh, damn. So, yeah. So I guess that's my embarrassing admission. Uh, every game for the Genesis and Saturn that could be called an RPG, I have not played. Uh, uh, Peter, do you have a uh, you have an embarrassing exclusion from your RPG uh, RPG ledger? I've owned a Vagrant story on a PlayStation Network for like going on seven years now, and I've played five minutes of it. Um, hey, <laughs> high five! Yeah, no, I've played more than that, but I really want to get through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's that's one I'm really gonna be like, I gotta like steal myself and devote myself to it but that, that combat gets it when once it's good it's great but it takes some figuring out yeah i've got like a whole bunch of ps1 classics on my vita loaded up that i can play because i don't again don't have a ps3 anymore but uh i really wish that they would bring that service to ps4 because c- i would be encouraged to play them more often i feel like and I, most definitely. a lot of the ps1 classics are crossed by for vita and ps3 um which is which I've taken advantage of, even though you know, it's transferring saves between them is a chore. But uh, generally, buying one of them it makes them available on PSP, Vita, or PS3 with just one purchase, which is nice. Mm-hmm. It's nice, but it'll be nice. It'd be nicer if they were on a platform that was alive. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Alana, do you have a game like this? Uh I've been ticking most of them off recently. Like you, I think Sweet Garden Two would have been mine, but I'm halfway through it, so. Um, but I'm, I'm now... about a quarter of the way through it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but now I would say Luna, because Luna now, oh! unfortunately, they're oh. not accessible nicely in the UK, which is really irritating. Yeah, uh, that is correct. Uh, Tales of Destiny for the De- Tales of series is the only game. You will argue this, Losi, but I still want to play it. I, I don't care. I, I know. It's I, good. I, I don't like Tess- Tales of Destiny's PS1 version, but that PS2 director's cut looks so dope, and we never got it, and that's a tragedy. Yeah, I think they changed the story. I like the story from the PS1 version and the gameplay from the I, PS2 I, well, version. I heard that the story from the PS2 version has more Leon, which is, if anything, uh, I I would be in, I would uh, I would welcome. But I don't know all the story changes they made, so I, I can't really make full commentary <laughs> on it. Um, I guess the only thing really that's maybe. Like more accessible. I, I started Valkyrie Profile at the beginning of the year and wanted to be on the podcast, but things happened. So that's really the big one that I want to get done. That, that's <laughs> also true of me. I, I own Valkyrie Profile, but I have I have only played the very beginning of it. And I decided not to be on that podcast because Monster Hunter World had just come out and I was not <laughs> going to be playing anything else. I did not have a good enough, that good excuse. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, okay, thank you so much, Josh, for that uh, delightful email and get, having us, uh, you know, admit some quote-unquote embarrassing um, games missing from our uh, from our game bibliographies, game gameliographies. I don't, I don't know. That's that's a portmanteau that doesn't make any sense at all. But anyway, we are down to our final email, and it is from Jed, and it is the longest email we got. Uh, Jed has a uh, a lengthy story about his um, experience with Shining Force Three, and then a couple questions and a couple game suggestions for us. So I'll 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 go through them as quickly as I can because we're almost at two hours, and I and I don't want this to be three. Uh, we'll try to keep it under two and a half. <laughs> so um, uh, Jed goes into detail of his uh, um, background as a big Sega fan and a Sega Saturn enthusiast. Um, his favorite mm-hmm. game of all time is Shining Force Three. And Shining Force mm-hmm. 3 was separated into three scenarios, three separate releases. But um, Western audiences only had English language releases of the first scenario. So he, when he learned <clears throat> that there were you know, a second and third act to Shining Force 3 that he couldn't play, he was despondent. He tried learning Japanese. He tried getting uh, a playable copy digitally somehow and to, to no avail. Uh, but uh, last year, um, um, 18 or 19 years later... Uh, as a gift from his brother, the, uh, his brother ga- um, gave him a retrofitted Sega Saturn that could play translated versions of Scenario Two and Scenario Three. Which is a, that's a wow. great brother. Keep that brother. Chad, hit me up on Twitter at Bob because I <laughs> didn't know there were translations of these. I, you know, I, I had a little peek. I wasn't able to turn it, anything up. So I'd love to figure out, you know, exactly how you did this. This is excellent sibling work by Jed's brother. I, I, I got to reiterate. Um, mm. So. Uh, so Jed eventually did get to play Scenario 2 and Scenario 3. He is uh, 33 years old and married, but wept playing the um, ending to Scenario 3, which is a, a very special moment, and I'm very happy for Jed for this. And uh, and and uh, he ends the email with, um, It reaffirmed why I'm such a huge fan of the podcast. Retro Encounter is a corner of the world I've been searching for, and your episodes reconnect me to branches of my roots I've sometimes forgotten. Congrats on hitting 150 episodes, and thank you for such a great podcast. Thank you, Jed, for listening and for your sweet email. Um, Now, Jed follows up this email with a couple questions. I'll I'll read these first three in a row, and we can sort of answer them at the same time. Um, Have any games stressed you out because you didn't think you could finish them on time? How does playing on a deadline affect your enjoyment of a game? And is using cheats or grinding tricks like the FF9 Grand Dragon trick allowed during Retro Encounter playthroughs? And uh, I'll answer the third one first. Yes, I don't care how people finish the game. They should just... Uh, all I really want before someone appears in an episode is a full-faith effort on trying to play through a game. And if you if they use Game Genie or cheats or exploits, that's fine, whatever you want. I, I mean, I... It depends on the game and uh, and uh, and my familiarity with the game. But sometimes I will have a a guide open on my phone with the controller in my other hand while playing through something, just so I can try and get through it to the end. And, uh, and now the other two: do, do deadlines affect my enjoyment or stress me out? Um, sometimes, uh, like when I managed to finish Lunar Two in time for the podcast by about ninety minutes and staying up extraordinarily late, I was I was relieved. But that was a game I really wanted to finish replaying. But then, going back a couple years, I uh, didn't finish the last story in time for the podcast because I got stuck on the final boss, and checking a guide, I was seven levels under their recommended level for the final boss. And that just that just pissed me off, and I ended up just watching a video for part of the end of the game and, and not finishing that one. I'm not proud of it, though. So, uh, s- sometimes... 
I mean, the deadline does affect my enjoyment. It, sometimes I get tunnel vision. Sometimes I uh, I can't always play at the pace I want. But whether it's relief or frustration or anger that uh, that is associated with that deadline depends on the game. And uh, again, Lunar Two and the Last Story were near opposite ends of the spectrum on that for me. Uh, posing this uh, sort of a combined version of this question to you guys. Do playing on deadlines affect your enjoyment of a game, or have any games stressed you out um, playing them for the podcast? Uh, Rob, go ahead. I get stressed out every time. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I'm sorry, it's, dude. It's, no, no, no. I don't. No, I love doing it. I, I really love taking part. But I also, um, obviously, the podcast is less formal than like writing a review for the site um and i'm I'm in the reviews department so um it's this sort of fine balancing act of like trying to get through something in a timely manner but also giving it um the proper amount of of attention and like seeking details and making sure that you don't miss anything um and sometimes it can be like a really a really tough balance to strike um and i always kind of like whenever i come on the show especially i always worry that like i don't know i'm not going to do a game justice or um something's going to slip my mind um but you know i hey i keep coming back so obviously you know i i still love doing it um so yeah it is um it's tricky but ultimately rewarding cool um anyone else have uh, thoughts on their stress um affecting their enjoyment of a game for the podcast uh i, I think for me it's mostly my fault whenever i get stressed it's like if i start the game on time i'm usually okay but knowing my horrible attention span, I'll tend to get distracted. So as long as I can manage that, I'm totally fine. Other times, I look mm-hmm. at the clock and I'm like, oh, we're recording in five hours and I have three dungeons to do. There goes lunch. <laughs> yeah. I've got ADD, so it can be like a real nightmare getting things done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially if it's a game that we're not super interested in. Mm. I know that's happened to me like once, I think where I just couldn't really focus personally. It's happened to me more than once, but um, I'm usually able to tough it out, but uh, there's a handful of times, the last story being one, and um, Digital Devil Saga last year being another, where I haven't been able to finish a game for the podcast, but but I'm usually pretty forthcoming on that. I want to say... None of us were able to finish the latter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Digital Devil Saga... Hard, I've beaten it before, but I felt very sad that I couldn't finish it for the show. Yeah, me too. I I have be- I had beaten that one before, which is why I felt a little less bad than for certain other games in the podcast. But there, there's at least one other that I'm either not remembering or trying not to remember that I that I was unable to finish and was embarrassed not to. So I maybe tried to fake tried to fake it on the podcast, but I don't. I, don't, I, I want to say it's happened before, but I'd have to look at a list to remember. But I, I don't want to look at a list. So uh, <laughs> Peter or Lana, do you have a, a situation like this that you remember? Uh, well, firstly, the reviews department lead apologizes because, yeah, <laughs> the deadlines are horrible, and as the person who maybe imposes them a little bit, then well, I you're wonderful. Understand. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I stress out more beforehand. So, like, when I know, I, I will use Swicken as an example because I took on the double challenge of doing one and two back to back. Um, so I I did it. not. <laughs> yeah, I, I panicked because I was like, am I going to be able to do one and two within a month, basically? And the answer is probably yes now. But at the time, I was like, hang on a minute. This is 20 hours. This is 40 hours. There are five games that I might be reviewing in this time period. Help me. So it was like, 
it was just this kind of like trying to compartmentalize and set out my time and everything like that but then i realized that sometimes i can actually storm through stuff and lo and behold squeaking and one is done and squeaking and two is halfway done uh but yeah i'm i've gotten more used to deadlines the longer i've been doing this and i normally finish quite far ahead of time fortunately um with retro games like i think xenogears i might have been maybe a week or two ahead i don't know how i did that but i did um but yeah they are extremely stressful but they don't affect my enjoyment like actually i think trying to get it all done in a short space of time maybe helps me because if i spread it out over a longer period of time i might forget smaller details and things like that um like the one thing i did was i didn't finish shadowheart's covenant um because i kind of lost my way towards the end and just thought i can't be bothered to do another dungeon like this again the, the some of already... the dungeons in shadowheart's covenant made me really stressed Ooh. out yeah and i'd already finished it twice before um so i couldn't really remember all the finer details after and it made me feel a little bit bad but um i think playing it to a to a time scale as long as i can manage my time sometimes i have to make sacrifices outside of rpg fam um it was, oh i understand yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it's tough but i i it's uh, it's rewarding and i've played many games i've never played before and fell in love with many games before that i never thought i'd ever get to play so i'm thankful for it more than anything so <laughs> peter do you have anything to add <laughs> For me, for me, I think the weird thing is when we started doing Retro Encounter, I was in college. Even then, there were a couple games that I had a really hard time like trying to fit within deadline. Like trying to do Trails in the Sky in, the, in a month was a mistake. Like, that's the only word I have to describe. And it's put me off of the series. Like I've thought about playing Cold Steel and other games in the series, but my first experience with Trails in the Sky was trying to play it on a deadline, and I just don't want to do that again. Um, <laughs> um, and there are some times where games, like, if I have an experience playing that game, like, it's one of my favorite games, like Final Fantasy X, I can, I feel like I can get by and come in with great enthusiasm. I can play that again, no problem. Like, I, yep. I, I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast, but when we did Dragon Quest V, one of my favorite games of all time, I got so into playing it that I beat it before we recorded the first episode. <laughs> and and then I and then I, I replayed the first third of it or so, uh, uh, um, just so I would be refreshed on the beginning of the game again. <laughs> You're a machine. Didn't you finish that like hundred hour monstrosity Dragon Quest Seven in like a month? I finished. I finished Dragon directly? Quest. I finished Dragon Quest Seven in about two weeks. It was only about seven. It was about seventy hours, and I beat it. <laughs> and I beat it before our reviewer beat it. Uh, and, and he, and he got two the years. Game, I still haven't beaten it. And he got the game uh, digitally before I did. Yeah. But um, I also, that was the one Dragon Quest game I hadn't played when it came out on 3DS, so I, it, I was anticipating it very much and, and turned into a machine even more than some, I sometimes do for that game. <laughs> oh, for sure. And then, and then recently, it's just, recently it's been more of an issue with just finding time to commit to stuff when yeah. it's been kind of a weird, weird year for me, and I've been trying to like balance a whole lot of personal stuff and uh, living on my own for the first time and a lot of just a lot of that stuff where okay i'm not committing as much as i would like to be and i feel bad about that um so for a lot of the podcasts i've I've enjoyed doing the one-off episodes a lot more than the game journals just because there's less <laughs> pressure. if that makes yeah. sense um it really is like something where i can be like okay i'm gonna show up and i'm gonna we can talk about this thing we really like and be funny and 
and it's going to be uh, it's going to be great. And whereas with the game journals, I do a lot of times feel like I'm forcing it or whatever. Sometimes just because I can't remember the finer details. Sometimes because I've had a hard time like finding the time to play this, and I feel like I'm kind of lagging behind. I I make the effort, but it's not always. I can't always be there 100 percent because. I can't devote a hundred percent to everything that's going on. So that's just, yeah, I don't want to get too real on that, but that's just how I've been feeling. Um, so, but right now, like for sure, I'm like, sometimes you get that really special game where I'm playing Shadow Hearts for the first time on the podcast. I'm trying to finish that before a deadline, but I'm really loving it. So I'm like, I'm excited to to talk about that next, uh, next time we do that. So that there's just, there's ups and downs for me with, um, uh, stress and the podcast, but overall, it's something that I know I love doing and uh, glad to contribute to. Awesome, and and I I guess I should uh, go off script a little bit. Uh, thank you guys for um, help helping me with the podcast over these past uh, couple of years since um, it's basically been uh, it, me producing most of it on my own. I have a lot of help from. Uh, from a lot of people at RPG Fan, especially Brian Ingemason, Mason, who edits about uh, about half of the episodes. But this podcast would not be possible if I didn't have other people interested in making episodes and people almost always willing to record with me. And um, and, I, and I don't host every episode. I host probably about sixty percent of them since uh, since Josh left the website. But uh, and it's but it's you guys, uh, your enthusiasm, especially the regulars like you for. And uh, and the support of the um, RPG fan bosses like uh, Mike Salvato that make this possible. And I, I I've really loved doing Retro Encounter these past oh shoot more than three years now I guess mm-hmm. three and a half now almost yeah, close to three and a half yeah it was uh, it was uh, a- April or May of 2015 um, so <laughs> close close to three and a half. But yeah, I, I know it can be stressful. I, I, I've made personal sacrifices to keep the podcast running. It takes up a lot of my uh, of my individual time that would maybe normally be spent playing games on my own. But I, I managed to do it up to expectation most of the time. I, I've, there's been episodes late. There's been time uh, times I've been unable to finish a game. But it's been a, an honor and a privilege doing uh, 150 episodes with you guys. But we're not ending the episode yet. There's still some more to deal with with uh, with Jed's email. He has a few suggestions um, for both game journals and for individual episode topics. Uh, he recommends four Shining Force games, including one, two, and three. Uh, I, I don't know about the pub availability of all of them. Um, at least Shining Force one and two are on some Genesis collections. For, um, on PC yeah, one, two, and Shining in the Darkness, which he has also recommended. You can get those on just about any any console okay. if you want. They're they're available on Steam as well. Cool. Um, I, I know yeah. they are per just... popular early strategy RPGs, but yeah. other than that, I don't know a ton about Shining Force. Um, yeah, those are all available. It's Shining Force 3 that's the difficult one to get hold of. Right, we, we probably can't swing that one for the podcast, but the others yeah. possibly. And uh, yeah. Alana, didn't you recently review the most uh, th- that Shining game that we saw at E3 together? Yeah, don't play it. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> got it. it. It's not awful, but it's just a JRPG. Yeah, that was the impression I got looking at it, but it, it did feel sick. it did feel like a like a like a diet version of Tales when I briefly played when I played the demo, but I haven't gone beyond the demo. Diet, diet Tales is like diet caffeine free Coke. It's like what is even the point now? At this point, you're just slightly corroding your teeth, and and nothing else is happening. Maybe the other games are far more interesting and 
Are they strategy? At least one and two are. I, I thought they yeah. were. Right? Yeah. Shining in the Darkness is a dungeon crawler. Okay. Um, oh it's God. the first Shining game. Um, so it's got oh. characters who appear in... It's got the the final boss is the same final boss of Shining Force One. Um, I think some of the so there's some other characters who ever there's some characters from Golden Axe who make um, a cameo appearance. Okay. Like right. Gilius Thunderhead is the um, is the the uh, blacksmith in what? the village that the game set in. I'm in. Um, so so this, kind is a, of, this is a little bit like Vice and Ica showing up in Valkyria Chronicles. Yeah, um, it's a really charming game with a lot of um, wonderful art, but. You know, it's a first-person dungeon crawler with no in-game map, so it might be a bit of a mm-hmm. tall order to break out that graph paper. Um, but it's, <laughs> it certainly is cute. Um, that had a follow-up on Saturn as well, Shining in the Holy Ark, uh, which did have a map and was much more accessible. But okay, uh, Jed also suggests the first Grandia in his uh, email, which is uh, you know another Saturn classic that I played on the PS One. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a good idea. Yeah, Grandia 1, 2, and 3 are very good. Grandia Extreme isn't, and I think otherwise the series is probably dead. Well, it's just oh, yeah. it's just Grandia yeah. Extreme that isn't really available. Yeah. So, uh... 1 and 2 are very good, though, and 3 is uh, sort of a generic story, but with really excellent uh, action. Yeah, or It's turn-based action, but it's still great turn-based action. And there's parallel strippers for the game boy color which got a fan <laughs> translation um, I, I wouldn't recommend I, playing not that a, I think i've seen that like on a wiki list before but know nothing yeah. about it it's like what if you a regular high school boy got transported to grandia world and got to make friends with everybody whoa yeah, <laughs> ah! yeah. i like that makes sense all right so he uh jed also has a couple topic suggestions so I, I don't think we shouldn't spend a lot of time on these but uh i'll go through them the list quickly. Uh, topics. RPG parents. We've already brought up Grandia 3 and Dragon Quest 5 on this episode, so those are some good some good starts. Amnesia in RPGs, which is a lot of characters. Right. <laughs> oh, Top RPG plot holes, which is a lot of them. How, tra- how translation errors affected RPGs. Uh, I am error. Kangaroo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, kangaroo. Yeah, kangaroo instead of, instead of Ragnarok for uh, Tales okay, of Fantasia. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And also an RPG trivia contest, some uh, like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me or Ask Me Another, which are um, radio quiz shows that are available as podcasts. I, I, I am more familiar with the former than the latter, but he suggests that, uh, for instance, Alana and I go head-to-head for answer, to answer questions about retro games. Um, I, I don't know how viable that would be for our format. Uh, I, I mean, who, who would write the questions, who would curate them, who would want to face me in a trivia contest? Those are all unanswerable <laughs> questions. I'm not facing you in a trivia contest. I did not to everybody on this site anyway, so it's fine. I mean, I actually just had a brainwave. What if we had a, like, obviously we all have a favorite game, but what if someone found trivia and just asked us questions on it and see how well we do? Hmm. I don't know. Like mastermind. It could be, um, yeah. it could be cooperative instead of competitive. That would be, that, 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 that's not bad. Well, we can we can put a pin on that, but um, I I don't I don't know if it'll happen anytime soon. There would be a lot of uh, a lot of thinking to do about a trivia episode, but it's um I, I won't totally shut the door on it. But anyway, those are the seventeen emails that we got for this podcast. Thank you so much, listeners, for sending them to us. It was uh, a, a long time, but a very but a very good time getting through all of them. Uh, and before we close, I uh, we talked about this a little bit off air. We have a list of every game that was suggested on the podcast. I'm going to rapid fire through them right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Breath of Fire 3, Final Fantasy X 2, Super Adventure Island 2, Lufia 2, Pillars of Eternity, Neverwinter Nights, Riviera the Promised Land, Inter Union, Xenosaga 1, A Wild Arms Game, Shining Wisdom, Shining Force 1, 2, and 3, Shining in the Darkness, Grandia, Knights in the Nightmare, Harvest Moon Game, Kingdom Hearts, a Disgaea Game, and Resonance of Fate. Ooh. Well okay. done. That is... Uh, that is every game that was suggested in a, in, a, in a listener mail. Some of them are a little vague, like a, Di- a Disgaea game and a Harvest Moon game, because they didn't give us specific uh, games in the email. But I thought that each of the five of us could pick one game from this list, and then that list of five could become a listener poll, that uh, a public poll, that anyone who wants to may vote on, and the winner of that poll will become a future Retro Encounter game. I don't know when, maybe the end of this year, maybe early next year, but uh, we did that for Breath of Fire 4 uh, last year, which Alana, you and I um, played together. And the mm-hmm. year before that, uh, the poll winner that became an, epi- an episode following episode 150 was Shadow Hearts Covenant, which Alana, you and I also played together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of as well. And Steph as well. Um, mm-hmm. So that and both of those were really good times, and both of those were games I had never played before, and was uh, grateful to do so. Um, so. Um, I have not played many of the games on this list. Uh, God, how many of these have I finished? I'm I'm counting uh, maybe four or five. Uh, That number jumps up to ten if you include a Disgaea game as five games. (laughs) But uh, so um, do we have a volunteer to go first? Pick a game from this list that will appear on a poll for a future retro game. I'll take it. Okay, Keegan, hit us. Sorry. Uh, Number one, I'll shoot for Final Fantasy X-2. All right, I am typing it into a spreadsheet now. <laughs> cool. Uh, anyone else have a have their entry for the list? I mean, I've been gunning for Kingdom Hearts for ages, so I figure that one's a given. <laughs> All right, Kingdom Hearts is Peter's choice. Thank you, Nick Ransbottom, for reminding me of that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, You'll like it. Just let it happen. All right, I'll add my entry right now. I'll put down Lufia 2. Nice. Um, I, I would probably play that on the DS because I'm morbidly curious about that version of the game, but I, I love the SNES version, so I would I would not mind um, talking about that game for the podcast. Heck yeah. Uh, Alana or Rob, do we have a, do we have something from either of you? Oh, um, I'm going to go Wild Arms 1 because I've never played that series. All right. It holds up. Um, I've been playing it on my Vita before bed, and it is it is extremely playable. And I nice. should mention, um, I I did play that game on the PS One, but I never finished it. I I stopped playing it at one point, and then when I tried to go back to it, I couldn't remember what uh, what in holy hell I was supposed to be doing yeah. at that time. It's not good I, for that. Yeah, so there's I, that I, PS Two remake that I always wanted to play. Yeah, Alter that's Code that. F. That's uh, uh-huh. yeah, Ultra Code F. I have heard of that. I think it's a little hard to find now, but I um oh, yeah. I have heard that is good, uh, or at least people on the old Final Fantasy forums I used to frequent really liked that. So, uh, Rob, we need a fifth game for the poll. Do you have it? Alrighty, Halfpenny has convinced me. I want to see what Nights in the Nightmare is all about. Nights yeah. in the Nightmare. Okay. So that is our poll of five games that will be released probably at the same time that this podcast comes out. Uh, Lufia 2, Rise of the Sinistrals, or Curse of the Sinistrals for the DS remake. Final Fantasy X-2. Wild Arms, the first one, Knights in the Nightmare, and Kingdom Hearts one. Now, now, um, Peter, you you meant you wanted Kingdom Hearts one and not two, correct? Because he's, he's I say saying... that it's the best starting point. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Kingdom Hearts one is the fifth entry. 
And that poll will be going up very soon. At the uh, at the time of listening, it probably already is up. I'll have it up for mm, probably two weeks or maybe uh, two and a half weeks before we uh, settle on a winner. And the winner of that poll will be a future Retro Encounter Game Journal episode. Or episodes, I should say. So... Holy moly! We have we uh, this this was a an in depth episode, so <laughs> thank you panelists for um, braving through it with me, and thank you listeners for lis- uh, listening to us jaw up about RPGs and respond to your emails for well over two hours. Next week on Retro Encounter, the second Shadow Hearts episode goes up. Steph is hosting those, and um, Peter, you are joining her alongside uh, Tris and Hillary, if memory serves, because I edited that episode just a, just a few days ago. Indeed. I think. Um, so that'll be a good time. We also have a, uh, a Super Nintendo RPGs episode that we... Uh, that Keegan, you, Peter, and I uh, recorded together. This is in our, our apology for the April Fool's episode. Um, the, an April Fool's episode that was uh, ostensibly about Super N- Nintendo RPGs, but did not go that way. This is us making up for uh, that ma- joke that was mostly taken in good spirits, but maybe not always. So uh, <laughs> that Super Nintendo RPGs episode is, at, uh, is in two weeks. And then following the, the SNES RPGs episode, we are finally getting into Suikoden 2. That will be two episodes in September. And Alana, you uh, and Keegan, you, both of you signed up for that one, right? Yep. Yeah. Right. I, I know that Alana is because she's been tweeting about Suikoden 2 a lot the past, the past uh, couple of weeks. <laughs> That's uh, been so fun. It has yeah. been a delight following you. I'm going to carry on. It's always a joy. I'm not a live streamer, but I will certainly scream into Twitter. Right on. So that is what is in the future of Retro Encounter. Uh, but staying in the present a little bit, uh, Peter, how can listeners reach out to you if they wish to do so? Well, listeners, if you want to reach out to me, um, the best way to do so is Twitter. I'm at I Have Fury on Twitter. Look for the avatar of uh, Minato from Persona 3 with the headphones. Um, uh, you can also reach me, Peter T, at RPGFan.com. Okay, uh, Keegan, your turn. Uh, just like Peter, best way to get in contact with me is on Twitter. Uh, I am Kaylee Brand there. Stop by and say hi. It's really the only social media I check at this point. And Alana. Uh, if you want to find the Konami Destroyer in the future, you can find her at Alana Higgs on Twitter. <laughs> or on Discord, you can find me as Diving Falcons, and I'll pop in and out then and again on the RPG Fan Discord. You may need an invite from our lovely moderator, who you've heard on here a few times, Leona. Um, but it's a really nice place to be. Yes, and I should mention before I ask Rob the same question as you three, um, RPG Fan has Discord, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, presences and all those things, and Twitch, of course. And you can find links to those uh, phases of our website on the RPGFan.com front page. Uh, but Rob, how can lis- listeners reach you? Twitter is a fetid, blasted hellscape, and um, that's uh, where I like to hang out. So you can find <laughs> me at MissanthraBob. Twitter does feel like a well that I am perpetually trapped in, but yeah. you know, I don't know. Maybe the well isn't so bad. Maybe I've gotten used for to lack, it. For lack of alternatives at the moment, yeah. Mm-hmm. I could go into this giant carcass of a deceased mastodon. Maybe that. Maybe that's an alternative to this well. Exactly <laughs> the image I had. Yeah. Hey, it's, oh, I... it's it's either the heavy metal band or a prehistoric megafauna. I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, Should yeah. we like get on like face party or like? Let's just go to Neopets. Ooh. Yes, Neopets. bring it back. 
God, Neopets had a murder mystery ski lodge thing going on for a while that I that held oh, me in yeah. rapt attention when I was fifteen or sixteen for months. And yeah, there's always Second Life. <laughs> okay, well, I am not on Neopets or Second Life. Um, I you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at the Real Monsoon or at Evoker for Dogs. Whether you want my normal version or my weird version, um. I'm also on RPG Fans Discord as uh, Monsoon Mike and RPG Fans Forums as Monsoon. But this is not the Monsoon cast. This is Retro Encounter, and this has been episode 150, a, a full two and a half hours. Woo! Holy smoke. Nice. Can I plug something real quick, actually? Oh, before... Sure. Hit me, hit me, Peter. What you got? Uh, so, listeners, I just wanted to say, um, you guys may have noticed this already, but... Uh... Our week in review feature is undergoing a bit of a change for RPG fan news. Um, we're going to be holding the show live for the foreseeable future um, with uh, your our intrepid Twitch streamer Scott Clay. He'll just be Scott. going. He'll be going over uh, all the news that we write for the site, and so you should join him for that. Check it out. Right on. And uh, oh shoot, should we plug anything else before we officially close the door? Rob, you have a fine podcast that's not attached to RPG Fan. Oh, gosh. Yeah, <laughs> there's that. Um, I am doing a uh, po- a weekly podcast at the moment called Misspent Youth, uh, where I talk to various people about uh, how they got into games and their relationship uh, with uh, the medium throughout their lives. Um, our lovely host, Mike Solosi, was um, a guest a few episodes ago. Uh, the most recent episode that is up at the moment has um, Nick Ransbottom, who, um, who wrote sent in. in e- who sent in an email. Yeah, I, I listened yeah. to it. It, it, I, it struck me because I uh, listened to Nick's episode just a few days ago, and it goes some very heavy places, but it was an excellent listen. And, and you it and does, Nick, but he, he speaks very frankly about um, games getting him through tough parts of his life so um i encourage you to check that out it's on twitter at your my pod i have listened to all of the episodes of that that are out and they are excellent and you do a very good job oh shucks come on sorry i I had a lot of fun recording that episode and uh, i encourage i encourage listeners to listen to all of the fine episodes of uh misspent youth and it is one of my most forward to listens of the week but that's enough out of us uh listeners thank you good night and good luck (laughs) 